Theater is freaking hard. Oh, tell me about it. Well, let's let, I've walked five miles back and forth to get to the theater to talk to children, and some of them are good, and some of them think they're good, <laughs> and others of them are just there socializing. You know what? That's okay. I fell off a ladder, I was stronger than the concrete, and I went back and I pulled that munchkin costume. So we got that munchkin is in the character from The Wizard of Oz. I'm not being insensitive right now. And, uh, you know... It's hard. Oh, I don't like it, except for the parts where I like it. I am- I'm surprised you're still alive. Just- fr from, the, from the description, you worked, what, 20 days in a row? You- 22. 22. 22! Oh, yeah, oh, oh, 22. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. You know, three full weeks and an extra weekend. Minus one. Because one was the fourth. So this is the podcast where you're talking to our- our corpses, as I have also had a nightmarish, well, not nightmarish new job, I like the job, but I'm working at a steel yard where I work in triple-digit temperatures and go into 400-degree ovens to bring steel into them. Ah, so, like, if you were a baked good at this point, what would you be? Uh, charred. Beyond recognition. <laughs> yeah, but, but, like, the ingredients, though. I, I know that we're looking and the shit celebrity chef is going, He's fucking burnt. I can't eat this shite. Uh, let, let's see, let's see, uh, it was originally just nice chocolate chip cookies, but they've got powder coat and sawdust in them, along with just random, uh, random grease and sweats, and then they've been smashed by forklifts. So, not really edible anymore. But you know what? It's better than working at customer service. I will take I'll, that. I hear that. I'll drink to that with this bottle of water I have. Welcome to Design Dork's Guide, and this is a video game podcast. That was Duke the Sawdust and Broken Cookies of Dorks, and I am Pyrrhic Kong. The man who walked 500 miles and will walk 500 more. <laughs> Just to be the one who walked 500 <laughs> miles. Uh, we, we are tired. We haven't had much time to play video games, but there still have been some great ones that came out this, I almost said year, month. I am tired. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We'll get there, you know? You guys are getting a shorty this month, but that's okay. <laughs> We're getting through it. So, uh, yeah, video games. Cool. What you got? Uh, you're, you're, you're forgetting something very special, my friend. What am I forgetting? K. Rule Watch. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's right. It's King K. Rule. Now, you might be saying, Pierre, there's no K. Rule Watch. There's no K. Rule. But little do you know... That this month, which will be last month by the time you're listening, but this month, Nintendo updated their Donkey Kong trademark. <gasps> Shocking. Big things are happening. Not now, my friend. There is no K rule. Obviously. Am I crying? Am I in tears? Is my life a shambles? Yes, but not because of K rule. You'll hear that intensified, overflowing <laughs> in some moment, but someday. The Kremlin crew will rise again out of the depths of the Krem Key, out of the murky ocean that the Crocodile Cauldron sunk into, and we will have our day! You will rue it! Because of this trademark update, which says, and I quote as I copy and paste it into my search bar, <laughs> Nintendo has updated their trademark for Donkey Kong, and this goes beyond the trademark that we usually see. The updated 
trademark includes new verbiage pertaining specifically to video games, including downloadable programs for portable and electronic consoles. Yes, the, the return of the Mario vs. Donkey Kong series. Don't hurt me like that. <laughs> Yo, this is supposed to be a happy place. No, no, I, I, I believe it means something. Like, we, we've known for a while that the, the signs are all pointing towards more Donkey Kong in the future. There's the theme park, the movie, resurgence of Gabriel and Smash. Like, all the signs are pointing to a better future tomorrow, but it's just not, just not quite there. Let me make Pressure something out of nothing, okay? <laughs> That's what I've been doing as a Donkey Kong fan for near 20 years now. Just let me do it. Yeah, you know what? What, what could be? I would actually be super excited for. Um, what could uh, be? The uh, Sparks of Hope, Mario plus Rabbids. They could have K. Rule as the boss for Donkey Kong for another DLC pack with him. I don't think they're gonna go for DK again. Yeah, they might. If I had to put money down right now, I think that it would be a Yoshi's Island DLC. Oh, that's true, because Yoshi got removed. Like, that is what I think is the obvious move right now, and I feel like, honestly, the DK DLC is super complete and also better than the main game. Like, I, I think they're good with DK, as much as I love him, as much as I want more. I, I, I just want that DK to interact with that Bowser in a party. I don't know if that's ever been done before in, like, a Mario RPG. Uh... Closest you got is Skylanders. <laughs> well, that makes up for it entirely. Never mind. Right? We're good. Please, someone calls DK a monkey, and Bowser goes, You can't call my associate Donkey Kong a monkey. He is a Kong. Big difference. That's something? Isn't it? This mo the most something that's ever something. Bowser just saying the words, My associate Donkey Kong. <laughs> Oh, that's that's some emotional writing right there. Yeah, well, He's DK's so, in so professional. evil Knievel jumpsuit. Oh, <laughs> uh, video games are a thing. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. All right. What 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 have you been playing? Because you've been playing more than me. All right, I, I've been playing a few things. Uh, with my work now, it has been a lot of just. I am tired. I need to turn my brain off for a second unless uh -huh. I come home. I don't want to talk much about it at all because I've already brought it twice, but I've been playing a stupid amount of Team Fight Tactics. Like, it's a problem now. It's an addiction. I need to stop. But oh, I uh, get it. More, um, uh, more enjoyable for me is I've started playing, um, uh, replaying God of War PS4. Ooh, okay. Uh, j just a little bit. I want to get through that again before Ragnarok comes out because that's probably my most anticipated game for the rest of the year now. That th The first one, well, not the first one, the... The remade first one was extremely good, and coming back to it has been reminding me a lot of why that is. Uh, no, so it is an exceptional product, I will say. Just as someone who was not a fan of the original God of War trilogy, like, I thought it was fine, but I thought it was unremarkable action fare with just really solid theming. I, 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 uh, I made this comparison, I don't know if I've done it on this podcast before, but I like making it. I feel like the original God of War was very much a... A teenage boy's version of a cool power fantasy. Just like, yeah, I'm gonna rip all the people apart and destroy everything and have sex with all the women. I feel like the uh, remade, like, not remade, but like the sequel Norse show is like a man's version of a cool power fantasy. But, like, you still got that fun action game, but you're like, you're being, you're being a strong dad for his son, protecting the world, and it's, it's just so much... It, it feels like the series has grown up, and it's a really nice... 
through line throughout it. Can you name a protagonist that does not get better when they show up and they're just so tired of everything? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, tired dad energy will improve any protagonist by, like, a thousand percent. Absolutely. Like, I'm really impressed by how well voice acted this game. Like, coming from this and Xenoblade 2, which I'll get to later in the podcast, I've actually finished that game now. Well, finished oh. watching the game. So we have a lot of things to talk about. But, like, going from that to this, this is, like, pinnacle voice acting here. Like, the amount of conversations between um, Kratos and Atreus, his son, like, there's, mm-hmm. there's dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of it, and it's all so, so good. Oh, yes, I, I really love uh, when you get, what, what's his name, Mimir? Mimir, yeah. I believe. Yes, the, when the he head. is added to the party and just getting that dynamic again, just when it's getting stale, just like, I enjoyed this game, but I think what I enjoy most about it is Boat. <laughs> yeah. But and like, like, I would never say that about any other game. Like, it's so rare. You would not expect God of War to have such quiet moments, but Boat is so good. Oh, but it sells those quiet moments. I, I love how it um, naturally goes from story to story. As it'll just, oh yeah, I'll pick this up again as you get off the boat. And it's like, as I was saying, like it leads to a very natural flow of conversation throughout the entire game. Mm-hmm. It's also all one take. Like, the entire game is a, a single solid take for, with the camera. I, I don't know how they managed to do that with an action game, but I didn't really appreciate it the first time around. But going through it... It feels like just an effortlessly continuous story. It's such a small thing, but it really adds to it a lot. I feel like that is something that is super necessary for God of War in specific, in just feeling that mythical kind of storytelling, in feeling this continuous journey, and sort of like uh, paralleling it to the labors of Heracles and that sort of thing, and just how each individual thing compounds on one another. I feel like having that continuous shot allows it to be elevated and feel like a complete package as opposed to this is the video game level where you fight the big snake man <laughs> exactly i i still haven't gotten i i only just started it i it's not much of a part of it but it's it's just it's just a solid game like there's a reason it won so many awards uh it's something that uh, another small thing i never really appreciated before the the in-game codex is um atreus's notes about their adventure I love, I love when that. games do that. Yes. I love when there is first-person commentary from a character in what would normally be just cliff notes. Like, even even when manuals did it back in the day, I adored that. Exactly. Like, he's got his own illustrations and stuff, talking about how he's he, he's making notes about his father, and he's glad that he's never going to read this, even though like, you're doing it in the moment. It's so charming. I, I, I might say that Atreus in that game is one of the best video game companions, period, if not the best. The relationship you have with him is so strong. He's legitimately helpful in combat, and the story is... A, the plot twist of who he really is in this world has me so excited for the next game. Oh, totally. Just, I feel that it's really rare for companion characters to be ones of significant growth that you specifically are trying to grow and make stronger. I feel like you get this a bit with, like, Joel and Ellie, and definitely with uh, Dad and Boy, but um, just the feeling of taking the partner character from your Navi and your Midna and whatnot as just a a separate party that sometimes interferes to something that you are trying to develop, trying to make stronger, trying to help and grow with and learn from as they learn. That, 
that really gets a solid connection that I feel like keeps it from being either an escort or an annoying novelty. Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's just really solid. Oh, one more thing. Having Zelda sort of chests, but having Kratos just walk up to them and punch through the lid to get what's in them will never be one of my <laughs> stop being one of my favorite things. That is so satisfying no matter how many times you do it. Uh yes. I I only wish that Atreus one time would go disappointedly. Da 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 da. another very small thing I've been playing. I just haven't been able to get much into it, but uh I've been trying the multiverses open beta. Ooh, yeah, no, tell me more about I've liked everything I see from that. I have liked almost everything I've played about it. Uh, still some server issues at the beginning, but like it's an open beta, so I don't fault it for that too much. So still better than Smash Brothers Online. Uh, yes, actually, yes. Still Great. runs better, even though even with the crashes. But like, I love how the um the two v two format of this game has really allowed their character designs to come alive. Like, I didn't realize how much in this game is built around support. Like, yeah, you know Shaggy's, like, meme going Super Saiyan design, right? Yes, yes. Did you know that if he throws his sandwich through an ally, it will heal them a little bit? I assumed, but I did not confirm. Yeah, every character has something like that where they can boost their ally in some sort of way. Even even assassins, even characters specifically built around damage have something. Like, uh, Arya from Game of Thrones is very much designed around just murdering people as quickly as possible, but she can apply her... She has an effect that forces people to turn around, which, as a character that deals more damage from striking them from behind, is very beneficial for her. But she can apply that um, ability to an ally by using it close to them. Oh, okay. Uh, she can throw a uh, a knife into uh, enemies to, like, uh, it's basically a teleport. Like, she can, as she sticks them with it, she can teleport to it and slash them from behind. If she throws it at an ally, she can uh, buff them when she teleports to them. It it sharpens them, which I'm I'm not sure what that effect is. Okay. You, you, you can sharpen Superman's fists. I think it does more damage. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, man. Bugs, let's sharpen this pie of yours. Well, no, you just you just put the knife in the pie. Okay, tell me about the Iron Giant. I need to know. I, oh my gosh, I, I, I loved Iron Giant so much. That I, I just watched the movie yesterday just because of the nostalgic trip, and it's just as good as I remembered. It's such a good movie. Iron Giant is an amazing character in this game. Most of his baseline moves aren't him really even fighting. It's just him doing his actions that he's done throughout the movie. Like his up special is him um, rotating around while holding the car that Hogarth is in. You remember that when he's like mm-hmm. pretending to be a pilot? Yes, yes. Oh, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, that is precious, and that gets around a lot of the uh, "you are not a gun" issues with the character. Um, his um down tilt is him planting the the metal tree for Dean. Oh, his art, and he can then eat the eat it for, for a bit of a buff. <laughs> oh, uh, his down his down special is his cannonball into the lake. I love the idea of this Giga Isabel. It, it, it kind of is, and he he does have that um uh, that um weapon form of his, but it's re- renamed into Protect Friends. Oh, and what I I I know that some people have a problem with that, but I really like that. Just this parallel that his default costume is him with the Superman emblem, and he's teamed up with Superman. It's almost like he's learning to use that form to protect the people he loves. Like that, that's how I'm interpreting it. I, I would agree with that. I feel like the strength of it is, um, you know, taking the moral of the film of just now choose, and he's choosing. 
Yeah, he, he, it's no longer a negative side of him that he's trying to hide. It's something that he's using for the greater good of the people that he loves. And it's beautifully shown by that because it's not obvious in the, in the game, but your ally can actually hop into you to pilot the shoulder cannons that he has in that form. Oh! You are literally protecting your friends when you do it. Oh, it's so I good. Like I like that so much. And you also have the ability that it's also just really cool to be this giant robot. I do like, do Iron giant, giant robots. Giant is massive in that game. He's like three times the size of any other character. I, I'm told that like he sticks halfway up a second platform, like from a battlefield standpoint. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You can just hit people by standing underneath the platform beneath them. There's some stages that you actually get stuck a little bit because he can't fit <laughs> in certain areas. I like this. I like this. I really like his stage design because of that. Like, they're all very, very simple, but they allow for crazier characters like this. Like, Iron Giant wouldn't work in Smash Brothers because of that. Like, you're not fitting in Hyrule Temple, no matter how much you try. Yeah, but, like, imagine if he tried, though. I, I think if you got in, you wouldn't be able to be knocked out. You, you, you just get into that, that den of champions in the bottom left there, and, like, he's too tall to be knocked out of that area. You, you just live you there sh now. You shove him out the left. He'll make it. I don't know. That's going to be a tight fit. It is a tight fit? Yeah, but we'll manage. <laughs> I, I'm not very good with him. He is a very hard character to use just because he is as large as he is. He gets right. comboed very easily. It's a 2v2 setting, but it also mm -hmm. makes him a very appealing target, which means you can play with somebody. I've been playing with my brother a lot, so he'll just be playing like Harley or something of an assassin character. Like Everyone will be focused on the massive target you can combo to death and not notice that, oh shoot, there's a crazy woman with a hammer right behind us. Watch out. That's good. Just have a good time. I like this. I I don't feel confident talking too much about designs yet, but there's there's so many fun characters. Velma is hilarious in this game. She is the Phoenix Rider of this game without question. Yes, yes. I've heard, I've seen, I heard that they nerfed her weight because oops, we accidentally made her too chonky. <laughs> Like she has a command grab that she she can grab um just any character and just zoom them off like the, the Scooby Doo run. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, she, she has a down special, which imp um just basically like by the power of nerdiness makes your allies' cooldowns shorter and it makes their heads bigger because they've gotten so much smarter by being around Velma. <laughs> oh god, yeah, they work out the library. She attacks with speech bubbles. She finds evidence and calls the cops on people. It's 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 fantastic. Uh, Shaggy obviously is amazing. He's so fun to play as. Mm -hmm. uh, Superman is. Un I wasn't expecting to love him as much as I did, but he's he's kind of the Ridley I wanted to get. Just unparalleled aerial superiority. He can just fly up, grab you, and toss you off any side of the stage if he wants to, if he catches you. And it's so like fun this. to just bullshit people. At like you, you grab him at the top of the the screen. They're at ten percent. Doesn't matter. You're right next to the top of the screen. You just toss him off. With with how oppressive Injustice Superman has become, hearing that he doesn't suck to fight against is great. He might suck. <laughs> it does feel kind of bullshit. But, but like, is like it fun? Every, or are so you like do fun? It is then that's so better much than fun. just doing the motions of all oh, laser eye, laser eye, laser eye. His laser eye in this game is so cool. Like you can, it, he angles it downward, and it like creates a um an explosive line across the ground that he lasers. It's like mm -hmm. the actual laser doesn't do the damage; it's the line he creates. Oh, okay. And it's based off of like how high he is. So if you're like right at the top of the stage, you can like laser the entire stage and just create a giant explosive line. It's so much fun. That sounds fun. Oh, that that's a great use of that actually. 
Uh, I can't play Tom and Jerry, but I love them. 10 out of 10 character design. They're so complicated, but it's just so, so charming. And I hate Finn. I hate Finn so much. Finn is so annoying. <laughs> Radical. Uh, he, he's very much turning into the the character that everyone is picking because he is good. Ah, the day one top tier. Got yep. it. Yep, that's Finn. But even so, I, I am loving this game. I can't wait to see what they add more to it. Looking forward to play more of it. Good. Excellent, even. Uh, what other what other small games have you been playing this month? Um, not much because life hard. But uh, I've been playing Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. I did the full arcade run through of that. Uh, that is the Street Fighter slash uh, Darkstalker slash Rival Schools and with a little bit of Cyberbots tossed in there uh, puzzle game. And it's it's a weird one. I'm not going to lie because most versus based fighters are a quick, strong back and forth. Like you're trying to eliminate as much as you can, as fast as you can to get garbage blocks on the other side of the screen. That's how it works in Puyo Puyo. That's how it works in Tetris Attack. That's how it works in Dr. Mario 64. With Puzzle Fighter, it's the same thing. You have to line up various gems of different colors, but you can't actually eliminate them unless you get a specific orb that's... Like, imagine if in Puyo Puyo, instead of getting a red Puyo, you got a red orb. And if that red orb touched, uh, touches another red Puyo, then it destroys all the Puyos in a row. Okay, okay. Okay, that is the only way to eliminate, and that is the only way to make chains. So you kind of have to create really convoluted chains where you have, like, a yellow orb above a stack of blues, and then when the blues get eliminated, the orb specifically lands on the yellows. So it's oddly difficult to get and manage chains, but the interesting thing is that every 25 blocks you lay down, every 25 pairs you lay down, you get a gem, and this gem will eliminate every single colored block that it lands on top of. So if you plop it on a yellow, it will eliminate every yellow, no matter what it's touching. Okay, interesting. And, and that causes things to spiral out of control like crazy. This game is so aggressive with its garbage block placement that you will just rain down garbage on your opponent and they will lose instantly when you drop that gem so it's a lot of it's a very very slow game to start every round you're just slowly building and trying to look for a very basic setup and just like one or two or three sort of combos to set up and then you get the gem and you lay down the gem and that is your combo starter so it's an odd mix of like the first 30 seconds is purely building and then the rest of the match is payoff and a constant back and forth. Is there is there a variety to that, or it, it kind of just sounds like it's a race to get the gem first? Is this like it is? But every character also has a different garbage layout. So how garbage works is that it's on a timer, and um, after a certain amount of turns, it will turn into regular gems, which you can then eliminate. So like after five turns, it will turn into, say, if you're facing Dan, all of his turn into red blocks. But if you're facing Ryu, all of his in a vertical pattern will go, this row will be yellow, this row will be blue, this row will be green, this row okay, will okay. be red. So you get character variety in your garbage supers, essentially. And then there are ones which are like a very 
eclectic assortment, very spread out, like Akuma is very spread out. In general, you don't want garbage blocks all in a row because it's so easy for a gem to wipe them out. So the characters with more spotty patterns tend to be better. Um, is it kinda repetitive? Yes, but like, so is Tetris Attack, and I fucking love Tetris Attack. It's odd because it's not kinetic until it is. And when it gets to that point, it feels like a fighting game back and forth, but half the time it feels like you're lucking into it and just surviving. So, do I like it? At its best, yes. Do I think it's an all-timer? No, I think it's weaker than Poyo. I think it's weaker than Tetris Attack by far. I think it's weaker than Dr. Mario. I think it's weaker than Tetris Plane. Okay. okay. But I think it's interesting. And, like, the sprite work is cute and fun. Morgan's in it. She does cosplays. (laughs) They have Devilette from Cyberbots, and she has a win quote of going, What, you don't know Cyberbots, the number one game? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, yeah, it was weird. Um, And then I played a game called EX Zodiac. Are you familiar with this one at all? I have never heard of that. Okay, great. Uh, Look it up because it is just Star Fox SNES, but good. EX Zodiac. Uh, that, that sure does look like Star Fox. Yes, uh, it is Star Fox, but rather than being a pure homage, the developer actually likes Star Fox 64 a lot more, and it controls a lot more like 64 by consequence. Uh, this is a stylistic choice, and they give it this sort of vaporwave look to it, and this is a fabulous Star Fox game. I really, really enjoy this game. You play as a cute monkey girl. She's great. And uh, the music is just bangers. Let me see if I can't find you the soundtrack for that, the Bandcamp for that. Yeah, there it is. Just to listen to some of this music, the stage two and stage four themes especially, I really love. But it is just this constant, fantastic homage to Star Fox. Everything feels crunchy. Everything feels right. It's it's hard to describe how good a rail shooter feels unless, like, you're there and feeling it. I complained about Panzer Dragoon and whatnot. This feels snappy and great, and I love it. It has a really tight scoring system where you get scored by how much of your initial health you have left. So, for example, the game, you can get healing, obviously, but the game will go, oh, you took 81% damage of a full ship's health. So this is what the bonus points we're going to give to you. And I think it's, I think it's a really clever, really addictive way. It's not that hard, but I don't think it has to be. And then it gets to the real good stuff, because in every level, there is a one enemy who will drop a data disc. And if you collect that data disc after the level, you are transported to a full 3D version of Space Harrier. Oh. And it is just it is just an homage. The monkey girl now has a gun and she is infinite running. And there sure is a giant dragon at the end that you have to shoot in the face. <laughs> like, it's just Space Harrier and it's great. The sixth level is on a motorbike sequence. And that has a totally different feel from it that I like way more than the Landmaster. The fourth stage just has Moai heads from Gradius as the boss. This sounds awesome. Yeah. It's in early access, and it only has six stages complete. I went through all of them in about an hour. It was such a fun hour. Like, I just had a fantastic time start to finish. And the best part about it is that I went back to stages to improve my time. Because I'm like, no, I want to play more. That's good. 
can I improve my time? Can I improve my score? I'm still only getting a B. What can I do better here? And just feeling that and just learning the stages and getting the feel of that. It's got that classic Star Fox vibe to a cute little writing. Uh, it's a bit difficult to see. It has some early access problems, like there's a lot of slowdown. And it has quite a bit of writing that you won't get to read because you're playing Star Fox. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a game that kind of needs voice acting to be able to tell yeah. something during gameplay. Yeah, exactly. But it's good. It's fun. It's not finished yet. Like, they are adding more levels. There's a little sign that says under construction. But, like, guys, it's 10 bucks, And it's worth every second that it gets for that price. Just support it. It's great. I will add that this soundtrack is indeed a banger. I've listened to two so far. I love both of them. Yeah, right? Nice. All right. Yeah. All right. And then for my last little short one, uh, I finally picked up No More Heroes 3. Fanta. Did you end up getting it on PC or did you get on Switch? I'm just curious. I got it on Switch because it went on sale. And right. that's the that's the promise I made and I fulfilled that promise. And you know what? It feels like a nice day at the golf course. I'm just getting my pants on. I'm getting my cute little outfit. I'm doing some strokes. And I stand there and I look out and I go, wait a minute. I hate golf. <laughs> I forgot how much I don't like No More Heroes Combat. <laughs> and like... Oh, it's such a shame because, like, it's just like golf. I love the aesthetic of it. I love the serenity of a golf course. Hate what it does to the environment, but just looking at it is beautiful. I love everything about it except actually playing it. Oh, <laughs> no More Heroes that's... 3, exactly the same. I hate the way Travis controls. He's he's very, very committal in all of his attacks, and I just can't get a good rhythm in between attacking and dodging. I just don't feel like I have the time to react to my enemies' tells properly. And I don't know if it's just because I went into God Hand so much, and that game is so snappy, and you have so much control over your combo ability, and this is just the antithesis of that. I don't know if I hate that Travis has to get it up every minute because you hit the combo too hard. I don't know if I just don't like the feeling of not doing decent damage until Travis runs a roulette wheel and decides that he gets to turn into a Gundam and shoot them in the face. <sighs> I don't know what it is. I just, I love every part about No More Heroes, except actually playing it. This game's story is fantastic. I feel like I'm missing eight lines of dialogue in between every line of dialogue, and my brain is constantly trying to catch up to what's happening, or what they're trying to say, and it feels amazing. The plot of the game is just E.T., but what if E.T. came back and he was an asshole? Like, what if E.T. came back and he was Homelander? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have very similar opinions of the No More Heroes games. Uh, I've never actually tried playing them myself, but everything I've seen about the gameplay is mimicking, like, what you're saying right now. I love the style, I love the soundtracks, the stories are ridiculous, but they just don't, they don't seem fun. <laughs> the weird part is, I love the busy work, I love the shitty minigames that you have to play in between each fight. I love the setup to each fight. I hate the actual fights. And I feel like, like, if you're building up a punch-out game, God damn it. <laughs> but God, I love it when it pops off. One of the bosses is just musical chairs. 
Like, I'm, I'm not saying that the gameplay is musical chairs. I'm saying it's literally a game of musical chairs. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on it. Okay. And then they turn into like a weird cute chibi demon and you have to kill them. And that's a lot less fun than musical chairs. I, I almost want No More Heroes to become a television series. I think I would like it more. I know no one would watch it because it doesn't make sense. Like, Travis shows up and his first line is, is this the 4th of July or is the Empire striking back or what? (laughs) Oh, my. It it is so of the era. Sylvia just pops up during the tutorial to basically do a VTuber stream talking about No More Heroes 3 and saying that you should only play video games for a maximum of 10 hours a day. (laughs) The cat has a voice. And it's just a deep, masculine voice, and Travis goes, I thought you were a girl cat. And Jean just goes, shut up, Travis, we're fighting aliens. <laughs> and he goes, okay, what's up? This game sucks. This game's great. Am I going to finish it? I have no idea! Because I have to motivate myself to play it every single time. And I, like, I have something good to say. I have good ideas. I freaking love Foo, the main villain. Such an asshole. I will never like playing a Stravis touchdown, though. There's a reason you're not in Smash, buddy. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an odd one. I don't, I don't know is. if there's another game like that. Where I just like, I love everything about, well, I, I, I could say the same about League of Legends, honestly. Like, I love everything about you except playing you. Yeah, I can feel that. I can feel that. I wouldn't be that mean to No More Heroes 3. It does have a shirt that says fuck racism, so it's already better in that regard. (laughs) What would make it better, I guess I would ask? Um, for the combat not to suck. Okay, it's just that far gone. It's just the point of I feel it feels clunky, and like, I don't know if it's intentionally so. Like, I don't know if making Travis competent would make him un-Travis. Well, like, if you if you play more like like say Devil May Cry, would it be better or worse? I don't think I would want Devil May Cry per se, but like Suda's made more I think more flowing games than this. I feel like Lollipop Chainsaw. I feel like Killer is Dead had a more solid combat system than this. Like Travis is intentionally a dopier version of that. All right, all right. Just some weight to it. Maybe, like, I don't know, maybe... Can you imagine a comedic Sekiro? Uh, <laughs> uh kind of, I think. If you sure. can imagine a comedic Sekiro, I want that. <laughs> All right, then. Just clunkiness in an action game, even even if it adds to the theming. Yeah, I don't... If he were a Musou character, I would not pick him. <laughs> okay. Like, if I had freaking freaking Ruto... Or Tingle or Usopp here, I think I would like the game better. <laughs> that would be an amazing Tingle spinoff for the Legend of Zelda series. Just a No More Hero styled version featuring him going through le- going through the world. It, is Tingle not just Travis Touchdown? I mean, kinda. <sighs> but yeah, that's No More Heroes three. I hate golf. <laughs> uh, most people do. All right. Okay. So I have only one major game left, so uh, you you can talk a little so that you don't blow out your voice in all one go. Okay, okay. I, I, I'll go with this first, just because as much as I love the game, it's hard to say much about it, because 
Ah, uh, my, my pride and joy, the Cuphead DLC finally came out. And before I say anything about this, I need to show you uh, a character design from this game. Please do. I, I, I don't know if I have ever been happier with anything in a video game than seeing this. Look at oh. that glorious character. Oh, that's just you. It is! Oh, you're just in Cuphead now. It's so beautiful! I love it so much! His name's the King of Games. He runs a little minigame side boss mode where you fight bosses, but you can only parry things in them. So no shooting. You just have to dodge around, weave around, and parry off of, like, the various pink bits that they have to defeat them. That's fun! That's it's cute! So, I like yeah, this man. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating, like, side game mode for it. Like, yeah, and it's all themed around chess. So you first you fight the pawns. It's a bunch of pawns just jumping down. You have to, pa you have to parry off of their heads. Two parries kills each one. You have to kill eight of them. Then you, mm -hmm. fight, then you fight a horse, a knight with a sword, and get a bishop, rook, etc. It's, 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 it's great. I like this dude. So, so you're saying the good thing continues to be great. It does, and, and that makes it very, very hard to, to, to praise it. Because, like, obviously I love Cuphead. I, I themed my entire brand around it. It is such a, a tight, difficult game. The, the boss designs are all so creative, so clever. It's a wonderful homage to uh, old classic cartoons, and this is really just more of that. Uh, one of the new bosses is a bug mafia. Yes, I've seen the bug mafia. Yeah, it, first it's a it's a, like a spider-like brute enforcer sort of dude. Just kind of mm -hmm. walks around three platforms, summons in all sorts of different other members of the mafia. Then the second phase is this um uh, like a 1920s sort of sort of dancer character. I, I there's, there's a term for a showgirl. Flapper. Right. Sure. I don't know. But, but then the third phase is um is a snail uh, underneath a anteater's hat, like a, like a mafia hat, and that's like piloting the anteater, and that's like the boss of the, the mafia. It's just a snail piloting the anteater. It's, it, is, it is so, so charming. That's so cute. I, I have seen a couple of bosses in this, and just, they improve the shading a ton. Right? Like, just looking at these things in motion and the way that the shadows move on them, like, even compared to the base game, which was already incredible, holy crap on some of these, like that final boss in specific. Damn. Uh, the, I, I really love the, um, the giant. Yes. Yeah, you, you it's just a bunch of gnomes, like, living in his stomach he, the, and fighting around him. But then you get to his next phase and he pulls out, like, these jester hand puppets and starts fighting you with those. Yeah, it's just the most adorable <laughs> thing ever. Oh, uh, one of the biggest additions to this DLC was Miss Chalice. She's kind of un—I don't know if I'd quite call her an easy mode version. It's, it's she's definitely easier to play as. She's got an extra health and extra jump. Mm -hmm. But she also plays differently. Uh, she parries by dashing into the pink orbs instead of jumping into them. That's what I've been told. Yeah, yeah, which kind of ch changes up how she fights bosses. Mm -hmm. So she almost creates like an an easier side mode to the game rather than an easier version of Cuphead, which is a fascinating way to do an a quote unquote easy mode. I I really like that. Can you fight the original game's bosses as her? Yes, yes, you can go back and fight all of them with Miss Chalice. Oh, that's cool. Uh, they they um they enable it by you essentially equip an item on Cuphead and it turns you into Miss Chalice at the start of a of a match, and you can okay. bring that wherever you go. Oh, that's nice. So, so it takes one of your item slots. Yes, but she's she, her abilities have like she's got like three items worth of abilities on her. Oh, so gotcha, gotcha. It's it's definitely worth it. Oh, yeah, I figured, but uh, they added a lot of new uh, weapons and like super moves and stuff. That 
that's been really mm-hmm. fun to use. Uh, Chalice has her own version of super moves, like where Cuphead fires the beam to the side, she'll do it vertically instead. So that in turn changes up how she fights bosses. There's some uh, um, areas that you just can't fight as well with Chalice and Cuphead, respectively. Well, that makes a lot of sense with her dashing in. That would, yeah, that would promote a more aggressive style. Uh, oh gosh, it's so hard to say more about this. It's just, yeah, a, f- a full 10 out of 10 marks everywhere. The, the soundtrack is great. The art style is great. This game just injects serotonin into my brain every time I play it. It's the perfect kind of challenge where you suck at every single boss, but you learn them time and time again until you have, can master them by the end of the fights. I will say, for how long it took to come out, it does feel a little short. Which, COVID, understandable. I, I mean, just the scope of the game in general, I feel, is just because, damn. Damn, that's a lot of work and a lot of animation you're doing. I, I feel like... Going through it once, like, I, I have no frame of reference here, like, I, but in general, for a run-and-gun boss-based game, I agree that they tend to be on the shorter side and feel like, oh, but I want more, though. But I feel like, from what you're saying, that there is, just in the different ways of play and the different challenges that you're given, that there's a good bit of replayability in this. Oh, yeah, it definitely adds more ways to experience the base game. I'm just, part of it's just me being greedy and being like, yeah, I, I, I love this though. I want more. No, but, but if you like, if you've seen trailers, you've basically seen most of what the game has to offer. There's like three more bosses that were in trailers, and that's it. That's about what I figured. Yeah, well, like, it's it's still just so 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 much fun. Yeah, is I, it I am- is about uh, is it larger than one regular island in Cuphead or about the same? Uh, with the King of Games showing up, it is larger. Because, like, his okay. entire thing is, like, you go through all the chess pieces, so that's, like, an extra four or five bosses on top of the island that you've got. Then that's more than I expected. Uh, no running gun segments, but I- that's fine. <laughs> oh, what a shame. Such loss. I'm crying. It's it's just- just a good time. If you- any of you haven't played Cuphead yet, like, fix that, please. He's got a cup for a head! Also watch the show. It is very charming. It is great. I don't love every episode, but I love the episodes that I love. I feel that. I, feel, I love them all. I, 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 I'm, I'm too invested in just Cuphead in general to have feel any sort of negative emotion towards him. That's fair. But like when, when the devil or Miss Chalice show up, I'm like, yee! I like that's, you. That, that's true. The, the, the devil in that show is just... Such a wonder. I, I love when Cuphead is trying to, like, telling him jokes, and the devil's trying not to laugh at them. Yes. It's, it's, it's a good. It makes me happy. Um, I'll, I'll toss in Xenoblade here. Okay. Uh, I am at episode 155 in Chugga's playthrough. I'm not quite a Torna, but I've seen the end of the main story, and I have thoughts. Okay. I have Many much thoughts. I, I, sorry if this is a little sporadic. I was just writing notes throughout everything. No, please um, go ahead. I'll have fun trying to put them together. Uh, for viewers, I will put a spoiler warning here because I will be talking about more in-depth things about the game. Okay, uh, but before anything, though, this game's soundtrack deserves a better game. That's not even a dig at the game's quality. It's just that the OST that's tied to this, I, it, it deserves like an unquestionable 10 out of 10. I, I love the music in this game so much. I just want to throw that out as an unabashed positive. Some of the later themes are just god-tier 12 out of 10s. Good. Good. Episode 105. 
was when I okay. finally stopped watching the story on the side and it had my full focus. <laughs> took, <laughs> All right. So it took 105 episodes to get there, but I was like, I stopped working on a project. I was like, oh, well, I'm actually, I'm actually into this. Okay. Um, as much as I could complain about pretty much every single character in the game, I think they all have some sort of some sort of trope or flaw or a, a bad performance somewhere. I think the character Jin is a genuinely fantastic character. If you've if you've seen the character designs in that, that's the Nomura looking one, the one that looks out of like out of Kingdom Hearts. Jin Xenoblade. Oh yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Oh. I I might call him the best villain of the series okay um, a, a big conflict in xenoblade 2 is that um you've got all the blades and stuff all the gotcha blades um uh, the way that their life cycles work is that they die when they're the driver they're bonded to dies and they are returned to their crystals which another driver can re reawaken them and they'll pop out with like the same personalities but their memories are wiped oh man i love tie and fall <laughs> yeah kind of uh but Jin is a character that's essentially stopped that process. He's essentially immortal, and his story is built around the um the downsides of immortality. What happens when you lose somebody and everyone you love is gone, and you just have to keep on living? It's a very compelling conflict for a character to have. Just just the the loss, the loneliness, and lashing out because of that. Okay, all right, yeah, that sounds like an FF fourteen. Yeah. Uh, like, like not, not to be too diminishing, but just like, shit, a lot of JRPGs talk about living forever now, don't they? Uh, another thing about Blades is that they um they take on aspects of whoever wake, wakes them up. So they're, they're kind of built around, like, their, their parents, their personality kind of mirrors whoever wakes them up. Mm -hmm. And that creates some interesting um conflicts with just, like, the main bad guy was woken up by somebody that kind of hates the world. So logically, he wants to destroy the world. Right. I, know. I I I enjoy the conflict of uh, being creative, like like being evil, but not because you want to be. If that makes any sense, being the product of whoever created you. Like, that, yeah, they, they have some interesting conflicts throughout there. That's yeah, that's interesting enough. So you're saying that all your complaints are because the characters that woke them are little sluts inside. Ah, uh, kind of. If if the lore of that game is true, the people of All Rest are unbearably horny, unabashedly. <laughs> I am glad that we all saw into their Persona Four dungeons, and every single one was horny. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. That there are some interesting characters in that regard. Like, there's one that was woken up by a monster. Like, if you're a creature and touch a corpus, you can still wake up the blade. Okay, I, I think his name's Wolfric. And that, that creates some interesting dynamics of being a, a character that's woken up by a monster, but, like, you're still sentient, you want to connect with people, but you you look terrifying. Right. It's, it's, I, I, I call him probably my favorite design, and I'll... This dude's neat. Oh, shit, that's Black Shadow. Right? Just <laughs> with a few extra tentacles, but it's basically him. But I, I find that a problem like that goes throughout the entire game is that all of these um these gotcha blades are essentially party members of the game, mm -hmm. but they are all optional. They are all randomized, which makes their their characters, their stories feel very isolated from the rest of the game, which I think creates a lot of the sporadic nonsense that Xenoblade 2 is chock full of. What, what do you mean by randomized? Do you mean that uh, they're in different locations randomly seated at the start of the game, or...? Uh, so you get these core crystals throughout the game, and you basically awaken... They're basically loot boxes. 
You open a core crystal, you have a random chance of getting like an actual named character instead of the generic blades. No. Each- yes. No. No, that's such bullshit. Yeah, so, so you might go through the oh, entire you, game without seeing Oh, this is the most anime characters. of all animes. Like, imagine, like, a, a Persona game where your confidants are randomized. And you'll just get random, like, you, you, you pull your personas, but every now and then you'll pull a kanji instead of a Arsene. Or instead of a, a Zeus or Thor. And those characters have, like, their own stories, their own personalities, their own ways of interacting with the wider world around them. Oh man, I got another fucking Moon Arcana kid? Damn it. Exactly. I have another scene about the fan site? Damn. It, it, it makes it so that they don't have a lot of time to deal with any of the characters, which makes all of them very tropey, very shallow, and creates a lot of the bad vibes around the game's characters' arcs. Because mo- most of your party members just aren't really... The game has to act in a way that you might not ever get them. You might not ever wake them up. So most of them just don't matter in the long run. I can see a slight bit of appeal to that in just the fact of we've created a core story, and then here are these side stories to explore these ideas we had. Which, to me, feels like too many cooks in the kitchen. Yes. But... Every single one of these blades was made by a different artist, I think. Okay. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. They straight up reached out to a lot of different anime artists and just said, hey, make, make something. We have these sorts of elements, make something around these elements. Which is why most of them are horny. <laughs> Got it. Uh, what else can I... The, this kind of lack of writing kind of bugs me, because I feel like this story is missing, like, a final act. It, the first, like, half or even two-thirds of the game was a bunch of bullshit filler content that didn't really lead anywhere. Uh, to be dead which... honest with you, I don't know what the plot of this game is. Uh, plot of the game is, uh, Rex is a salvager hired to go do just some job from finds Pyra down there and, like, gets immediately murdered for finding her. Right, right, that, that much I get, but, like, what does he have to go and do? His basic goal is to get to the world tree in this game. It is, uh, Elysium. All the titans in this world are dying, and he thinks that this Elysium is a place where he can bring everybody to, uh, live their days in peace. Pyra also okay. wants to get there, and he's in love with Pyra, so he wants to get her to Elysium as well. That's the main focal, like, goal of the game. Okay, he's- get- okay, horny Moses, got it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Then you have the main antagonists with, um, uh, this is full spoiler ones, I- I'm not I'm saying this, um, the main antagonist, Malos, is basically uh, the same as Pyra. Pyra is, like, the, uh, she's the Aegis, but Malos is another Aegis, they're basically the two gods. Kind of gods? Not really? It's- is he wearing clothes? Very convoluted. He is wearing clothes, so it's not what fair. What the fuck, he, he, Rex? He's just equally sexualized for diversity. No, that's Rex's fault. How's that Rex's fault? Because for he's Malice? the one who decided that she can't wear clothes. Oh, true. Well, she was also like that before he awakened her. That, it, that, that, that's, that's a weird thing in this game. Like, they say that's how the blades work, but then you'll wake up blades that were owned by other people and they're the exact same. I'm not sure. Sh- so maybe it's like the original person chooses how it works. I, I, I don't, I don't know. It, uh, it's, it's, it's a plot fault. point except for when it is. <laughs> anyway, you, I you don't to know this him. character, but it's more fun to hate him. I, I do feel like he kind of gets too much hate. Like his, he's very generic. His voice actor has a very hard time screaming with his accents. But like, he's one of the least egregious characters in the game, I'd argue. He has a few good moments. Although, the, 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 here's a funny thing. 
about this game. Like, I I've talked a lot about how the bad the voice direction is, and, like, it's bad throughout the entire game, even in the final episode. Like, there's there's still some wacky performances where it's clear that the actors just did not have the same context for the same scene. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll be consistent with their own performances, but not with each other's, and it's just, it's just bizarre. Yeah, it sounds like video game voice acting. I had one moment where the tone of their voice was completely different from the mood of the background music. I've never heard that before in a video game, and it was just hilarious. Oh, you haven't played much Sonic. I, I haven't, I haven't. But I, 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 that kind of adds to the Sonic's charm, though. Here it was like a really emotional, impactful moment. The music is swelling, but Rex's actor just didn't know what the stakes were of what's on the screen at the moment. Like, he, sh he should have been, sh like, shouting or something, but he's, like, speaking, like, very confidently, like he's lecturing a class or something. It was very weird. I don't know. I I'm sorry for keeping Boyd to keep bringing it up, but, like, at this point, it's just fascinating. A <laughs> little... Dude, I'm just having flashbacks to when Eggman is like, I loved my grandfather. Did he mean to kill us all? That's horrible. And Tails goes, I don't know, but I know we all did it together. And Eggman goes, you're right, Tails. Ha ha ha. I will shout out the voice cast for trying to create something out of nothing. That's just hard to do. And they're giving it their all regardless. Mm -hmm. it's just, 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 just a damn shame. What was it? Sorry, I went off on a huge tangent. There was something I wanted to say. The, 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 the final act of this game is missing the final act. Like, 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 the last ten episodes of that playthrough had more story in it than, like, the first 80. It was ridiculous. Lots of okay. moments of, like, there'd be some impactful, this is why you should care about this character, right before they died. And they did that multiple times. Just because they never set up any of this stuff earlier in the game. So it's anime. I mean, yeah, but like the fir the first game wasn't, and I was like, if, if you if you would paced this better, like this would be a genuinely good story, but it's just such a it is such a mess. There, there was one moment in particular. It, it, it tried to do a Final Fantasy IX. The main character is becoming self-destructive, and the party struggles to help. And I, I just felt awful having that fall flat because they didn't like build it up properly beforehand. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm having an odd experience I haven't had before with a, like, watching a Let's Play. I'm starting to regret watching Chugga's playthrough. H having him follow up that moment with him going, like, him emotionally going, This is when I knew I had met the best characters, best cast of characters in the Xenoblade games. I almost stopped watching. Not out of, like, a disrespect to Chugga or his opinions. It's just that when you're experiencing something in such a polarized way from someone else, it gets, like... Like, like when someone excitedly shows you something on your their phone or something, they just don't feel the same way as they do. Oh, that's yeah. Oh, that, that disconnect just... is awful. Like, I, I'll outright admit that I can't watch a lot of Persona 4 video essays because I just go, oh, I don't have the emotional capacity right now to disagree with you on this. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just, it, it's not out of, a, out of a disrespect to them. It's just that conflict is so hard to be in the mindset to deal with. You have to have yeah. a very good day to be able to stomach that. And it being on the other side of it, like, of being on the other side of praise, I just feel like a buzzkill watching this, and that's not a fun feeling to be dealing with. Yeah. Being like, yeah, look at how great this was. It's like, but, like, the, they were clearly being, like, directed in two separate areas, and, like... It's, it's, I don't want to kill the mood, but well, I don't like, agree. I don't know, I don't know. I, I, I think Chugga's enthusiasm kept me in the game, but I, I also feel like... I'm failing him, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, no, it's it's interesting, because I feel like, 
for a lot of things, it's a two-way communication of like, oh, why do you like this? What do you enjoy about this? I'm glad to see why you like this. I'm glad to interpret it. This is why I don't bounce off. But with something like a Let's Play or a video essay, you don't have the ability to do that. You just have their opinion and you can leave a comment, but a YouTube comment is worthless. You don't have that back and forth. There's not a balance there. There's just, you get their experience and hopefully it's good for you. Yeah, it, it, it's just a fascinating part of like Let's Plays that I've never really experienced before because for most games, yeah. I would have stopped watching by now. Yeah, and I'm not saying that that's an inherent detriment to any creator because that's the shit I put out. <laughs> yeah, same, same. But it's just an inherent flaw of the medium at times where it's just, yeah, but I disagree, though, and I have nowhere to go with these feelings except to leave a shitty comment if I feel like it. Yeah, it, it, it's so odd. I, I feel like to really give your thoughts on something, you need to put out something really long and complicated, like it, like Chuck, I made, I think, a 200-plus episode series on Xenoblade. Mm -hmm. You'll see video essays about movies and stuff reaching multiple hour marks. You can't really reply to that in a way that's constructive yeah i don't know it, it, it's a very odd uh, like struggle i've been having that i haven't really dealt with before mm -hmm. i don't know can i can i can i say anything else about this game I, i'm still kind of in the same spots i was last time like the, the very poor pacing of the ending kind of left me with a sour note i'm hoping torna kind of gives me some of that like build up i needed to feel anything for these final moments of the story because that's kind of what it is i think okay go back you go back in the past like that that's where Jin is that's where his main story is all right it's like 500 years in the past or something like that i don't know but like it's still it's still a mess and i i, I still don't like the game i'm sorry I, I people that said it got better it 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 didn't well no you said it did but it just didn't get better enough oh yeah true it didn't get better enough I, I still like the ideas of the story. I like the, the the ideas of the characters. I don't think they were executed anywhere near as well as they could have been. Also, why the hell did they have to ruin all of the designs? Like, you have, like, core cast of party members. Like, you, you, you know Nia in that game, right? You yeah. You know Poppy? Yeah. yeah. Like, like the, the basic characters. They get, like, evolutions that get progressively creepier, especially Poppy. Like, she's just created and she's just, like, this, like, eight-year-old child. But she'll get, like, upgrades, which, like, the first one turns her into a maid, and the third one's just a full-on, just, like, I, I don't know how to describe this. Uh, a sex robot? With a sword? Sure. So an anime robot girl. Yes, but it's, like, she still has, like, the same, she, like, still swaps between them, has the same personality of the child normally. It's, it's creepy. I don't like it. Bro, that's an anime. I I'm know. not gonna lie Ana for you. That's Ana just a anime. That's it's a very creepy ass trope that I just know. Why'd you ruin? Poppy was like the most adorable character, but she like swaps between. Okay, now I'm in my mommy mode. Do you I'll go back to the child? You can't get attached ugh. to a robot character. You can't do it. I'm sorry. I've they're designed from my to mistakes. either die or be a weird sex thing. <laughs> Sometimes both. Ah well. At least the music was good. Now let me delist this essay on Labrys I wrote. <laughs> but yeah, we'll always have the music. Yeah, yeah. I am looking forward to playing 3. I'll probably get to that maybe- now nah, I'm gonna play Live Alive first. Probably a month after that. Yeah, speaking of Live Alive- Yeah, go f oh wait, no. I actually kind of sort of played this one too. 
I, I played the demo for the space one and that was it. Okay. Um, first off, how long does the demo go? Does it finish the chapter or? I, 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 I felt like I ended before I even started. <laughs> okay. So it did. Like, like the, like the dudes go outside of the spaceship. There's like, oh no, something's going wrong. And then it just, it just ends. I, I feel oh, okay. like I just got the intro tutorial and that was it. But what I played was so charming. Yeah, you play as a little spherical robot with a little red, like, baseball cap. You just go around and serve coffee to people. Yeah, that is his purpose. Yo, did you play Captain Square? I did play Captain Square. That was fun. Yo, Captain is Square. That the, is that how the main combat works? Or the, is yes, that, just that, is, for that? that is the combat. Okay, okay. It's an interesting, like, turn-based, moving around, uh, kind of... Kind of battle network-ish? It, it's a grid-based active time battle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed that. Um, Surprisingly good voice acting. Yes, yes. And you didn't touch the uh, Imperial China or the... Um, uh, not yet, not yet. Other one, other one that was in that. I forget which one. Oh, uh, Twilight of Edo. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I didn't know how far that you got in it. So your impressions are, the game was good. It was charming, yeah. I, it made me want to play more. I just haven't had the time to do it yet. Yeah, okay. Um. So, to everyone listening... <sighs> play Live Alive! It is the seminal experience of an RPG! There has never been, there may have been, but there has never been in this one moment a better remake experience than Live Alive currently has. Do you know what you have? Seven different unique time periods, all of which wonderful, beautiful story, each of which are only three hours long at most. Some of them are only half an hour long. If you're really good at it, you can fit everything you want to it in a single day. It is a fantastic experience that creates a full RPG experience with multiple different stories, hits every sort of note that you want to. And this remake does such a great job of improving everything that the original game did well. Excellent. That's the best kind of those. Those are the remakes that I feel like are the most justified in this world. We've always talked a lot about the like pointless ones in the past, but like this, it kind of punished, but like it makes the game feel so much more alive. I completely agree. The first thing that I did in this scenario was I went to the near future chapter because that is the one that I think suffered the most from being on the Super Nintendo. It had a lot of conveyance issues. It had a lot of, okay, where do I go now issues. Parts of it dragged. It had a lot of really interesting ideas to it, but none of them really panned out in any sort of interesting way, and you would have to basically know how the game works on the back end to really explore any of it. Okay. So when I went into this and... It quality of life fixes everything. Items that were previously just hidden now sparkle a little to show that you can interact with this object. It gives you a mini-map that tells you where progress is, so you aren't going to miss content and you aren't going to go, okay, where the hell do I go now? Nice. Voice acting does such a great job of bringing everything to life and keeping the dialogue-heavy portions of the game from dragging a bit. And they do a great job. Most of these are voice actors with only a couple of roles under their belt or non-video game roles under their belt. And they do a fantastic job and have such great delivery that I really appreciate. They're really able to sell the sense of scale for all of these. The near future chapter, it's got a giant mech in it. And in the original, it was just a giant mech sprite, but it wasn't much bigger than the characters because of the limitations of the SNES. Uh, in this, they're able to give it a full 3D model as it towers over you 
and use the HD 2D perspective to make it pan and grow bigger as you approach it, and the way the lighting dances off of it. It is so nice. good and so cool to look at. There is a full anime intro to it that was just sprites dancing around the screen, but now is a full 3D model that spoils the entire chapter, but in a really vague way that feels like a Mazinger or a classic anime opening, where like all the villains show up in silhouette one after the other, and you have a big 3D model of your robot doing super cool super moves. Performed vocally by the man who did Chala Hey Chala, the theme of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> in both nice. English and Japanese. Whoa, really? Depending was, on your language selection, yes. It's the same person? It is the same person. That's and you can impressive. tell that he is very much struggling to say the word Babylonia. <laughs> oh. Damn, performing in different languages, that's really hard. This game goes above and beyond where you would want it to go above and beyond. Like, there is a TV set in the near future chapter. And every time, it, you will just click on it and we'll go, and the fighters are going, and this is the wrestling match, and we're on round one. And you click on it again, it goes, round two, round three. You can click on it 100 times. Wow. And at the 100th time, it will play a new scenario of an NPC coming out with a steel chair that is totally voice acted for clicking on it 100 times. <laughs> That's amazing! Flavor text is great. Oh, the remixes they've done. This is Yoko Shimomura at her best. And the original soundtrack was already great, but the way that they add music to this, the way that they're able to get rich instruments in... God, this game is so good. Every single chapter has something new to throw at you. Every single chapter has a new idea to throw at you. None of them overstay their welcome. Some of them leave you wanting more. I discover new things about this every day. Uh, the modern day chapter, you're basically a blue mage and are trying to get hit with specific attacks. Oh, that's fun. But if you break one specific character's arms and legs, he will unleash your ultimate for you to learn early. Huh. But you have to put a character who does the most damage in one situation in the most disadvantageous situation while using other moves that you learned from other characters. There are so many small details, and all of them are given the proper time that they need to develop. I can truly go on and on and on about every single thing this game does. Ask me anything about any time period, and I will tell you something to celebrate about it. That's an uh, open challenge. Go for it. Prehistoric, completely without dialogue. All of it is physical comedy. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, cowboy. Cowboy. Timing-based. There are three mariachis, and you can send them on missions. Their voice acting is in Spanish. Oh, nice! And every time you send one out on missions, their instrument that they're playing gets removed from the background soundtrack. Oh my god, really? Yes. Oh, that's such a nice- I love touches like that, yes. Uh, Far Future? Uh, Far Future? Yeah. Um, gosh. Ooh. Ooh. All of those are big spoilers. Okay, fair uh, enough, fair enough. I'll, I'll, yeah, um- Don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Do you like Alien? I love Alien. Cool, you'll like that chapter. Excellent. I am unaware of the names of the other time periods, otherwise I'd keep asking. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Just- 
uh, everything is so good. There are so many small little details. Like, there's a recurring character in every single time period where it's just a child that his dad gets shot and dies. What the f- <laughs> And this happens in every single time period. And some of them, it's played for the most laughs. Like, in the Western, they just show up and are like, We made it, Daddy! And then he gets shot in the back. And he just goes crying off stage. And other times it's woven into the narrative and played completely straight. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's horrible, but I love it. <laughs> uh, wait, what's your favorite time period? Like, which oh. one of all the stories, which one's your favorite? Oh my gosh. Um, I love Western's execution. Everything that it does, it does insanely well. And the voice acting that they give Mad Dog, your essential Goro Majima to your main characters, Kazuma Kiryu. Oh my god, I have to tell you one line, because uh, one of the outlaws gives you a glass of milk. Okay. Just to say, like, ah, you're a sissy. You drink milk. And you can either drink it right in his face, or you can pass it back to the bar. And he goes, you wouldn't like milk unless it was from your own mother's tits, would you? <laughs> And you can either be silent, or you can give him the voiced one-line response, your mother's maybe. Oh, yes. <laughs> this game is so funny. It's so good. But my favorite of all of them is probably Imperial China. Unless we're counting Endgame, in which case it's Endgame. <laughs> okay. Imperial Ch- China is so clever, because the conceit is that you are a kung fu master, and you are coming to the end of your life. So you are looking for disciples to teach your skills to, and you find them, and the whole thing is a training arc of you deciding who to teach and what skills you're teaching them and what stats you're raising for them, while perfectly under the guise of a kung fu movie. Oh, yes. You're basically, you're being uh, Miyagi for everybody else here. Yes. Yes, you are the Shifu. You are the master. And just the culmination of that and how it ends up panning out and how it ends up homaging so many kung fu flicks. Because like every kung fu flick, oh yeah, it ends with a sequence of you fighting like a hundred dudes. Oh, yes. But the build to get there and how they execute it in a turn-based RPG is fabulous. Live Alive is one of those once-in-a-generation games. It is a shame that it was missed out on because of poor sales in the SNES generation. It was the reward project for one of the directors from Final Fantasy IV making such a good game in FF4 and them just going, okay, Square going, okay, you can make whatever you want and we'll fund it. And this is what he made, and it is the most passion project. It is so sincere and unabashed in its love of genre film of video games, of playing with expectations, of comedy. Every chapter has its characters designed by a different mangaka. Nice, very nice. Everything about this game is so, so wonderful. And it's not even full price, it's just $50. That's one of the most surprising things about this, actually. Yeah. From Square? Yeah. Okay. This is a game that clearly everyone, from the original creators to the remake team, loved. There's not much added. I know that there is stuff added, but I dare not say what. But what has been added, what has been polished, and how they managed to celebrate everything from the original to be what they envisioned it to originally be, is incredible. 
this game is incredible. Play Live Alive. I'm, I'm looking forward to. Good. That's all I got. Alrighty, I uh, just have one more game to bring today. Last month also saw the release of Monster Hunter Sunbreak. Now, if to, just, just to recap my major problems with Rise, what I was hoping to be fixed in Sunbreak, I felt like Rise was far, far, far too easy. Like, mm-hmm. it gives you that mobility of the wire bug, but does not let the monsters catch up. Like, you can just fly around them and there's just nothing they, you can do. Right, and you got first, too much zoomies. Exactly. At first, when I was playing Sunbreak, I was still feeling that. Just like, oh, I, the monster's never focusing me, I can dodge around them, no problem, this is easy, this is easy. I went to, um, just do some solo hunts just to form up some gear, and I died in 30 seconds. Oh! So something that I've been kind of forgetting, because I am, uh, playing with a group, is that when a monster is splitting its attention between four hunters and their four uh, comrades, it's a lot easier to dodge their attacks. I see. It's, it's, it makes the difficulty still feel pretty manageable when you're in multiplayer, but once you get into single player, Sunbreak hits you hard, and I'm so, 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 so grateful for that. The first monster I want to talk about is something called Espinas. I'll send you a picture real quick. It's All right. honestly not the not the craziest monster. It's got a lot of design stuff you've seen before in this series. It's basic wyvern structure, right. same as the Rathalos. Has a yeah. moveset that's kind of a mix of the Rathalos and the Diablos, which is uh, basically just a just a chargy version of a Rathalos. But what makes this monster so brutal is the fire it spits. Uh, you know how Pokemon has, like, paralysis, poison, etc., like, different status effects? Right. Uh, this thing's fireballs cause fire blights, paralysis, and poison. I don't know how that works. It just spits a neurotoxin at you, which puts you with two damage over time effects and stuns you. So you basically get hit with whatever it uses afterwards. It is one of the most brutal combinations I've seen a monster use in the entire series. Yeah, that sounds painful. Uh, th- this was the monster that was added from the uh, the Frontier games, right? Uh, the online thing that basically the Pandora's box being like, oh, we can use everything from the series now. Right. It's one of my favorite additions to the series because it does this charming thing where anytime you find it in an area, it's asleep. And once you start hitting it, you have to hit it like 30 times before you'll even bother to wake up. Like, it'll just start moving its head around being like, no, I want to sleep, leave me alone. But by the time you finally like wake it up, it gets immediately enraged and pretty much kills you instantly. Well, all right. Just a very fun, very interesting monster. Uh, let's see. I want to talk about... Ooh, Megalas. Uh, they brought back a or old uh, um, monster from the fourth generation, the flagship monster of it, called mm-hmm. the Gormagala. That's a name I've heard before. Uh, this thing right here. One of the sickest dragon designs I have ever seen. Because like, it's got the basic setup. It's got the quadruped, long tail. But instead of its wings being just wings, they're almost two separate arms that'll, like, place on the ground around it, become a six-legged creature. Okay. And based on where the arms are um, placed on its body, whenever it winds up to do an attack, it you feel so much power behind every single hit that it throws down. It makes it one of the most intimidating monsters in the entire game. It's, it's hard to show without being in motion. No, I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm picturing it at the very least. Yeah, it, it has an effect where it'll, like, it sends off this, um, it's called a frenzy virus in this game, which basically darkens the entire area around it. So when it gets enraged, it will literally darken everything around you. Like, the entire world will dim. 
Ooh, okay. Very, very intimidating monster to fight. And it has a really fun status effect where if it hits you with the frenzy, you're basically on a timer. Uh, I think the in-universe explanation of it is that if you, like, hit it enough, you build up enough adrenaline, you can actually fight off the virus and, like, it'll become, it'll strengthen you. But it becomes a DPS check, basically. While you have the virus on you, you can't heal as well. It's constantly dealing damage to you. But if you, um, can shake it off, you get a, uh, buff to your crit chance. Oh, very nice. If you fail to nice. shake it off, you can't regenerate health at all. Which really, really, uh... Like, basically makes every monster deal double damage to you. Oh, that's bad. It, it, it's a very fascinating monster that completely changes up the fights that you have in the game. I, I want to talk a bit about the theming of the new monsters. Okay. I, th I think it's the best they've ever had in the series. So Sunbrick is themed very much after a, a very European-styled um, area. Right. I, I, I kind of wish Monster Hunter would start trying to do... It, it basically bounces between, okay, we're European now. Okay, we're now Japanese. Okay, we're European now. now we're Just like, there are other parts of the world that you can pull monsters from, but like, it's European again, and this is probably the, the strongest they've leaned into that. They do a very cool thing where they theme the major monsters off of classic European, uh, like, creatures. Like, I've shown you Geismagorn, which is the green monkey, that is right. very heavily based around Frankenstein. Yes. Uh, there's one called, oh, I can't remember the name of the, uh, like a Garon, some of that, no, that's not right, but it, it's a ice wolf that is very clearly based off of a werewolf. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess, I guessed on the lichen bit. But, um, uh, the best one is Malzino, which I will show you a picture of, I spelled that wrong, but Google figured it out anyways. This is, uh, very clearly based off of Dracula. That's a sexy dragon. Right? It's got, like, the full coif there and everything. But this but monster damn. is fascinating. You see that little, um, that tuft on the front of its, um, uh, of its body? Yes. Those are actually very small creatures, um, called curio. Probably mispronouncing that. But they're, like, these little winged, um, uh, you know what cookie cutter sharks are? No, actually, but no, I've, leeches, I've seen leeches. this guy's trailer. Yes, yes. Yeah, just little winged leeches that will, like, drain monsters and then attach back to him and, like, make it stronger based on the blood that it eats. Okay. Put a timestamp here. Small spoilers for the endgame of Sunbreak. Uh, the Corio aren't actually native to Malzino in this game. It is just taking them as a host because they can symbiotically bond with them. They are actually from this monster called uh, Geismagorm, which is essentially the... It's pretty much the devil of the Monster Hunter series is how it's presented here. Okay. Which is such a fascinating thematic, because Geismagorm is the devil, whereas Malzino is Dracula. So by using uh, Geismagorm's choreo for its own uh, power, Dracula very literally made a deal with the devil to get its power in this game. It's such good theming. I love it so much. That's really good shit, I'm not gonna lie. I just, oh, I, I th like, they've always had themed monsters in the past, but it's never been this strong. I love it. So I want to show you a show you a picture of Guy's McGorm real quick, just because it's a sick monster. Yeah, hit, look at, hit me. Look at, look at this Pacific Rim looking thing. Oh, wow. Oh, I don't like looking at that, but I like looking at it. One of the best boss fights I've ever seen in the series. I'll show you an in-game one as well. I'll have these pictures popping up. Uh, look at that thing as it gets enraged. Oh, that mouth is a nightmare. Right? Right. That, that's has, just an infinite flesh sack. God. <laughs> it has the same setup as Gormagala, so it's got, like, the huge, like, wing arms. There's just no wings attached to it. Mm -hmm. It will very little, like, put its arms forward. You can see how it's, like, got flames shooting out of it. It will yes. use its arms as, like, jetpacks to, like, charge across the area, rocket punching towards you. 
They're like summon black holes and bring fire upon you. It's such a good fight. But you can't just make the dragon shoot black holes. That's illegal. <laughs> it's Monster Hunter. Everything and anything is legal. Nah, that sounds wrong. Especially to do with dead monster corpses. Oh, speaking of that, uh, the fight before you get to Geismagorn is basically setting up that the choreo are actually more than they appear. And it's one of the creepiest fights in the entire series. You just, you're, you're set to go after a monster you've gone after before, but when you get to the area, it is dead silent. There is no mu- well, actually, no, there's like this really creepy, like, ambiance, just like a, it's like a cello just eerily playing in the background mm-hmm. or something like that. You can see, like, little red dots, like, lights fl- floating around everywhere. I can see choreo everywhere. And you go through the area, and everything is dead. Every neutral monster, every endemic life, you can't find any of it. It is all dead. That's good setup. You find the monster, and it won't and it won't play the the battle music at all. It'll still keep up that eerie ambiance. And like halfway through the fight, it'll enrage, and you're told that the choreo are actually piloting this thing's corpse. It's a dead monster that you're fighting, oh. and that that leads up into the fight with Guys Magorm, the cutscene, the quest afterwards. It's oh, such that is a delightful. Good Oh, that's good. I will say the pacing is a little off. I think of all the expansions I've played, this has taken the longest to actually get to the new content. It's very strong when it gets there. We have to get like through like three whole quests worth of just fighting old monsters to get to the new ones. Mm-hmm. It's just a small thing, but I figured it was worth bringing up. Oh, I have to... Are you familiar with the Monster Hunter theme, Proof of a Hunter? No. Just the da 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 Okay, yes. Are you familiar with how it plays during boss fights? Like, wh- where no. it shows up? Okay, no. okay, so the best part of a Monster Hunter game, and up there for, like, my favorite moments in any video game ever, is when you're fighting the final boss of a Monster Hunter game, it's, it's frantic, it's terrifying. They, these, these fights are always crazy. Like, the guys in the room is bringing, like, raining meteors down upon you. But then there'll be a moment where you, like, get the, the chance to... To use a Dragonator, a, a giant, like, mechanical spear weapon that completely does, like, a 10,000 damage to it or something. Like, there's a, there's a chance to, like, have, like, NPCs po- calling out for, like, one final push to defeat the monster as it stands. And you'll use the Dragonator, you'll do that thing, and that's when Proof of the Hunter starts playing. It, it's a theme that they save for basically, alright, the final boss is on its last legs, you've been listening to its theme the entire time, and now it's time for your theme to play as you finally bring the beast down. Nice. I I love when they create the, they're on the back foot, this is your time now theme. It's so, so, if I made a list of my favorite moments in uh, video games, Proof of a Hunter would be up there, just because it's just one of the purest adrenaline rushes, especially now that I'm playing it with, like, other people, just having that start playing, like, oh yeah, let's do this! Oh, it's so good, it's so good. I will say that this one was a bit tarnished. There's a small problem that's been growing in the Monster Hunter series that I kind of want to talk about right here. Alright. Uh, they've been trying to put more and more focus on NPCs. Like, trying to create a, a bigger story with whatever characters you're trying to interact with. Right. Which is a neat idea on paper, but the way that Monster Hunter works is that you're never going to be spending as much time with your NPCs as you are with your with your friends, with your Palico companions, and with just the monsters in the game. And the way that they're doing it right now is that they're making the fo- the stories kind of focused around these NPCs you're interacting with, mm-hmm. and it makes it kind of just fall flat because you're just not spending enough time with them. Yeah, I can see that. It's They're just a point for you to go back and return to as opposed to something to experience with. 
Exactly, exactly. I, I wouldn't complain about it as much, except that in, um, 4 Ultimate, which was the, um, the last mainline series on the 3DS, mm -hmm. they actually had it so that your, your companions would show up in cutscenes with you. You had, like, an actual storyline with your Palico as well. Huh. I, I still remember, I named mine Ranulf back then. I still remember Cute. that story. And I really hope that Monster Hunter finds a way to uh, bring the focus back on uh, the storyline between uh, your uh, your friends and your uh, animal companions, and less the NPCs. Because the the proof of the hero moments in this game happens when an NPC like deals that final blow. Mm -hmm. And like it was cool, but the only thing I could think of when I was watching that was like, damn it, I wish one of our hunters did that instead. Ah, uh, kill stealer, great. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's 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 not an awful thing, but it's not as good as it used to be, and I hope they course correct at some point. Oh, it just sounds like they're trying to write a story around them without actually writing the game around it. It's just like, here's the game, okay, let's try to write a story over here, though. It, it, it's kind of an MMO kind of storytelling thing. Like, the story's kind of happening around your character. Like, you're, you're obviously there. You're the big, awesome dude that's killing all the monsters. But the actual story is happening to the people around you. Which is fine, but there's, like, the bonds you're forging with the people you're hunting with and with the companions you're, that are saving your life constantly from the monsters is so much stronger. And I just, But, but, but it, isn't the plot of Monster Hunter just, aw, oh, there's this monster and he's making all the monsters angry. But actually, it was this monster <laughs> that was making them angry. I mean, yes, but, like, that's why you want to focus on the actual struggle to beat the monsters, like, the actual hunters you're going alongside with. Like, a cool thing that 4U did was that every introduction uh, to a cutscene, you'd actually have all four hunters there in the cutscene, no matter what your gear was. Oh, neat. And it was such a small thing, but it added so much to the feeling of, like, yeah, we're going together out and we're going to hunt these creatures together. Your allies kind of don't exist in the story here, which I feel is a mistake. While I can agree with that, I feel like you should, all if you're going to make characters, I feel like you should also have a better story. Oh, yeah, I mean, true. Like, I don't, I remember the name Fiorain because she was the one that was always around, and that's it. <laughs> Like, they try, but there's just too much time between story beats that you just can't get connected to the characters. Even though you can, like, bring them with you onto quests. Mm -hmm. Which is a cool mechanic. Like, I, I like that. That's a neat way of just, like, bringing the- having the NPCs have a greater role in the f series. But if it's coming at the expense of, like, your actual hunter companions, it's not worth it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, overall, it's a very small thing. I still love my time with the game. Except for Shogun Siantar. That's a crab monster in this game. It has, like, really, really long arms, so its hitboxes are way, way smaller than its hurt box on its body. Oh. Absolutely obnoxious monster. Oh, that's but a shame. That Crabs thing, are fun. There's, there's another good one in it. Okay. There's two crabs. One bad, one good. I like, I like the good one. There are two crabs inside every hunter. Ah. <laughs> uh. Lots of neat new mechanics. You can, like, slam monsters into exploding bug walls. There's fun new moves. Tried out Hammer this time with a wire bug. That's very fun. Except against the, the Megalas I brought up, because they have the wing arms. Do you, you not just default wanna... Hammer for DDD? I mean, kind of, but I wanted to choose, try the Bowgun with this one, but I, I did go back to the Hammer eventually, because okay, it's the Hammer. Okay, all right. 
it's fun to smash things in the face. But when you have the Magalas, their hat, their hands, like the wing hands, are on either side of its face. So when you, whenever you try to hit the face, you always hit one of the hands. And it makes the fights take forever because you can't hit the damn face. Uh... It's interesting how they balance monsters with that, just having different weapons be more effective against different monsters. Yeah. The last thing I think I'd really want to say is that while I like the idea of Wyvern riding, like using the wire bug to like puppet master the monsters to fight other monsters, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I don't think I want it to come back. It's a neat idea, but it kind of makes the... How do I put this? It makes you respect the monsters less. They become less of threats and more of tools that you use against other monsters. So it doesn't mm. really matter when one shows up and interrupts your hunts. You're just more like, oh yeah, let's just let them hit each other once. We'll gop onto one of them, hit it with the other one, and then we'll win even harder. Would it be more interesting if you had a class or a weapon designed around it rather than it being a passive of the wire bug? Ooh, maybe like a trainer, trainer kind of class. Yeah, you could set like bait but like for the monsters. I-, I could see something like that working. Uh, yeah, I like creepy puppet man. That's all I want. I'd honestly rather just have, like, a Godzilla, like, the GameCube Godzilla fighting game. Just do that with the Monster Hunter monsters. <laughs> that <laughs> that yes, would feel though. better to me. Okay. Alrighty. Uh, overall, I th- I still think, well, no, Sunbreak Sun and Rise are no longer my least favorites of the series. I think I now enjoy them more than, like, the like the old PSP versions. Those are just too dated. But I still like, I still have higher nostalgia for Try. I still, I still think 4U is a better game, and I still think Iceborne bulls it out of the water. But it did fix a lot of the problems I had with Rise, adds a lot of cool new features, and the, the new monsters and the theming behind them is just impeccable. Like, it, it's the best the series has ever had. I can see that. Like, I've never gotten excited about Monster Hunter design. But then I say, ooh, Leech Dracula, Dragon Man. You, please. Exactly! <laughs> like, people are like, no, here's Rajang, he's a monkey. You like monkey? And I go, Yes. He looked like regular monkey. I'm, I'm not that excited about he, monkey. He's a Super Saiyan monkey, though. That shi- I, I get that he's laser Super Saiyan. Beam. I get that. I've seen it before. But Dracula Dragon. Now that's a dragon. And they're going to keep supporting it. Like, the, they've already confirmed, like, eight mo- new monsters worth of content that are coming for free. Awesome. Like, hell yeah. I will continue to not play it. <laughs> no worries. It's a, it's a very heavy time sink. I understand. Right. I do like it more than Travis, though. Excellent. That, that, that's all I ask for. That's all I ask for. Uh, that's all I gotta say about Monster Hunter. Excellent. Let us move on to the news. Yep, welcome to the future site. Future site! I said the thing so we can talk about news. Okay, cool. Lollipop Chainsaw Remake announced out in 2013... Only a few licensed tracks left in it because it was a music licensing nightmare, but uh, it was also delisted because it was a music licensing nightmare. So it's good to have this game alive again. Nice! Yeah. Uh, Interesting though, it's the original developer, but not Grasshopper Manufacturer, not Suda51's team. It's just uh, the original guy who's like, "Can can I do this? And Grasshopper was like, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Lollipop Chainsaw was a fun little game. It's not much, but it's fun, it's peppy, it's nice to have, oh, cheerleader with chainsaw who does cheerleading moves as her attacks, but with chainsaw, though, and gun. (laughs) That is pretty fun. And just the dynamic between Tara Strong playing Juliet and her boyfriend just 
having the put-upon boyfriend who literally can't escape because he's become a decapitated head, and the peppy, psychopathic, let's kill the zombies! <laughs> oh yeah, I, for I forgot I forgot about the decapitated head part of that game. Oh yes, no, just imagine if Mimir was dating you and was put upon by everything. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And that's that game. It's not special, but it's fun. Hell yeah. A, a sequel to Valkyrie Profile, Valkyrie Elysium, will be released September 29th. And it looks pretty generic, but it looks better than initial trailers for it. But at the same time, I love when it's like, hey, you want to do this very dedicated after Norse mythology? And just the idea, because the conceit of Valkyrie Profile is that you are a Valkyrie and you are finding fallen heroes to use as your party in the afterlife. Ooh, that's some fun theming. I love that. It is just a really cool game thematically and you help your party members get over the reasons of their deaths and like rationalize who they were in their lives and how, what they're going to be in their afterlife and their regrets and everything, and how they can affect the world as the Valkyries Ein Harry are. Valkyrie Profile is conceptually super cool, so I'm I'm interested to see them bring it forward. I, I will say the gameplay does look pretty generic, but... You are completely right. But also, I would say that about Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise, and I do kind of love Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise. <laughs> Fair enough. I love it when you kill Chaos. 50 times. Over and over. You want to kill Chaos? It's our only purpose. Uh, Yugi and Kaiba have started a podcast. Okay, what? Yeah, Dan Green and Eric Stewart, the voices of Yugi Moto and Sao Kaiba, are starting a podcast called The Heart of the Cards. <laughs> this is uh, the YouTube channel Audromeda Productions. And they're just going to make a podcast about whatever. And that's really cool. I like those guys. I mean, hell yeah, I love when people do that. There's, um, Merry and Pippin from Lord of the Rings did something similar. And that, that was that's just one of the most charming things I've ever seen. I love when actors that are connected from old roles like that just use that old chemistry to just keep making something new. Oh, yeah. No, they, they do a lot of great things. Like, occasionally, Konami will bring them out if they're promoting uh, new cards for Yu-Gi-Oh! and have them do a themed duel, a set duel, in character against each other. And then Yugi will shout that he plays Karibo and the crowd will pop off behind him. Because <laughs> Karibo has not been meta ever, but everyone loves it. Yes. Oh, it's great. Uh, on a sadder note, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! creator Kazuki Takahashi did pass away this month. So oh, rest in power, you beautiful soul. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic creator. Love his vision. Just, just a man who loved games. Yeah. Kirby's Dream Buffet exists, meaning that I will never be able to finish Kirby, ever. He'll just keep coming out. Uh, that, that looks so charming. I, it it's like a very simple game. I, something you'd see in like an armor game, just like, oh, what's, what was it, like Sushi Cat or something like that? I remember playing that in, in high school. Yeah. But you just drop, you get bigger, and you try to get bigger than everyone else. Yeah, it, it, it looks like a Fall Guys, as everyone in the world has pointed out, and Fall Guys was fun. Yeah. And I like Kirby. So yeah, I'm putting this on the list of Kirby games I have to beat right next to the Cold Stone flavor of ice cream that's Kirby-themed that's out right now. <laughs> I have one near my work. I should pick it up, actually. I can't I should just do a video to... that's just like, 
the super tough pink puff full playthrough with commentary, and I'm just yes. eating the ice cream. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to hear the DDD theme for this one. You right. Know, if you want to. Just rotund DDD. Bayonetta 3, release date set for October 28th. I am shocked, honestly. I thought that was another year off. With just how nah, this with with how many trailers they put out for it, I felt like Nintendo was like, nah, this is this is about time. This is about ready. They always have something to supplement their Pokemon release for the holiday. I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I I, I guess I'm just so used to waiting for the game. That yeah, I get it. Actually, coming out feels wrong. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel real. Um, game looks good. Yeah, like looks really nice. Um, Bayonetta got a Nero. Yeah, she looks great. I like yeah. her. Hopefully she plays well, and if she doesn't, hey, she gets a ride in, so she gets, as long as she's good in the following game, she'll be great. Exactly. I, I like how it seems like they're setting up, like, a Bayonetta-verse. Like yes, that Bayonetta seems very clear. Verses. You have Train mm-hmm. Bayonetta, who rides around in a giant train. Yes. Demon train. <laughs> I'm very yeah. happy about this. Oh, God. I hope we get, like, cool Enzo, <laughs> just from the universe where Enzo is cool. <laughs> And it's just him with sunglasses, and he has guns. <laughs> I just want to see an army of Rodons just completely destroy an army of angels. Yeah, that'd be beautiful. And, like, Bayonetta is, like, a surprisingly solid time travel story. Yeah. Where it just plays with the concept of it, and it's like, it's Bayonetta, we can just have fun with it. So, like, I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I trust they'll handle this well. Yeah. Well, folks, they did it. Goku is in Fortnite. Also, Beerus and Vegeta. That is, I mean, it's kind of an eventuality, like they already had Naruto in there, but that's just the, just the insanity of the Fortnite crossover and all the ridiculous things you see next to each other is never going to get old to me. I never want to play it myself, but just the occasional screenshot is very funny. I wonder what will get me to cave. I really do. Because this isn't that's it. That's a good question. But- like, cause like Donkey Kong would not get me to cave. Like, as much as I love him, that wouldn't get me a cave. I might for the mask. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Ah, uh, I don't know if there is anything for me. I think it'd have to be something like the character would have to come with like a weapon that they specifically can do. Well, they, they did it with some of them. Like uh, Thanos had that. Yeah, like, you can, whip, whip, you can flip around with Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, things like that. Yeah, like, Goku's coming with the Kamehameha wave, which, hilariously, a Fortnite player goes, he will have the Kamehameha, which I think will be his legendary ability. And I'm like, okay. You Have you ever watched a TV? <laughs> <laughs> or am I just old? I don't know. Ah, uh, that's... <laughs> Could be yes to both. Who knows? Uh, but I can't wait until they're just referring to the characters as Goku, Goku's brother, and Goku's cat. Yes! <laughs> I can't wait for the Fortniteification of who the hell are the not Gokus. I just can't wait for the... Just like, oh, that, that, that dude from Fortnite, Beerus from Fortnite? I love that character. Exactly! <laughs> oh, God. I hope Beerus is fun. He's such a fun character in the Dragon Ball universe. I thought I would hate yes. him. I love him. He's, he's so good. I, I don't know much about him, but the, the things I've seen, 
he he does not give a single. Sh- I, I I love those kind of characters that don't care but are also omnipotent. Yes, ten out of ten combo. Absolutely. All right, so we have official confirmation on the day that the Nintendo 3DS and Wii U eShops officially close, which is March 17th, 2023. May they rest in peace. I'm surprised they lasted this long, honestly. Yeah. However, in a shocking twist, Fire Emblem Fates will be taken down one month earlier. Yes! (laughs) Only that game, though. (laughs) Oh, I am not kidding. Watch that be a signal of this, like, oh yeah, we decided that we're going to remake it for the Switch and delist it a month early so people buy it there instead. Oh god, please no. Please no. But that's so hilarious. I thought that specifically would make you very happy. But why, though? I mean, I'm happy, but why? Yeah, uh, I don't know. But fuck it. But you know what also is great about, like, games preservation? I'm not actually being sarcastic about it. Newly elected Japanese House of Counselors members, Ken Akamatsu, is forming a team to preserve games in a playable state. Nice! This is an actual government... I'm not sure how Japanese, like, culture works, but this is now, like, an official effort to, like, keep things alive. Yes, uh, his platform he actually ran on was based on preservation, so... Nice! So we may have actual legislature... Somewhere in the world about games preservation in the That's near awesome. future. Yeah. You know what's not awesome? Oh, do tell. NFTs. They're not. <laughs> not at but all. you know you know what would be a great brand to mix with NFTs? Oh, please please enlighten me. Uh how about a little well known environment hating game called Final Fantasy VII? It's like they were made for each other. Exactly. Their first NFT project, Square announces, will be Final Fantasy VII themed, collectible cards and figures. Okay, you're you're still going through with this. Not only are they going through with it, they're choosing the brand that is the most ecologically friendly to create the most ecological damage. It's what the kids call irony. Now, is this because they're tone depth, or they're trying to weaponize the irony? That is the question that pops into my mind. Oh, who are they weaponizing this for? I don't know, man. You, you can always spin outrage into something useful. No such thing as bad press. I guess. Um, I have a note here on Skull and Bones and its continued existence. Okay. Can you enlighten me on that? that that's, that's very funny. So, um, Skull and Bones has been in development hell for years now. Mm-hmm. Like, they started working on it when Assassin's, Ple- Cre- Assassin's, Plead? Assassin's Creed Black Flag was released, which, guess it was awesome. This ship combat in that game was awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, we should make a game fully around this. But they just couldn't figure it out, and it's just been in hell for years and years and years. Funny thing is that there's actually a law in Singapore that once work on a game in that region has been started, they can't stop it. Like, they have to pay off on the investment the government's put into them. Mm-hmm. So they very literally could not cancel the game. So they've just been trying and trying. Ubisoft Singapore has been just desperate to get this out, and it's finally coming out, and I just think it's kind of hilarious that Singapore refuses to let it die. I think they finally hit the point where it would cost more to keep working on the game than it would be to take the hit from the suing of the Singaporean government. Because I, I know that snaps. that has been mismanaged to hell. Like, I know that Ubisoft... 
uh, French employees are just sent to Singapore as sort of a paid vacation. And that's why nothing ever gets done. I believe it. Yep. But hilarious if it actually comes out. Hilarious if it doesn't. Uh, you also have listed Baldur's Gate 3 adds bards, including 96 unique voiced insults for the cutting word spell. Ah, it's 97 even better. Oh. that That's just... Baldur's Gate 3 is probably going to still take a while to come out fully. It's going to be the game of the year whenever it comes out. But like, I just love the care and attention they've put into this. Because not, not only are they insults, they're like D&D insults. Like the kind of things you hear uh, a medieval bard shouting at people. Uh, uh, one I remember clearly is um, just ca- casting the spell and saying, Go back to the anus that spat you out. And just, just ridiculous <laughs> things like that. <laughs> and there's 97 of them. Can I reclass my party members into this, or is it only the player character? I don't know. Because I, think I that ju- might be a feature they add down the line, but it's not right now. I but just like want to hear Asterian insulting exactly. me. Yes. yes. I mean, he's going to do that regardless. The other characters, honest, I don't care. But like, yeah, but insult me on command, though. Like, I don't have to earn it. I just have to ask. I, I hope so. I hope so. It, that that game's turning out so well. I, I haven't. I've been trying to avoid playing the demo. I played a little bit and stopped just because I want to just gorge myself on that game when it comes out fully. I don't like getting like the first third of the story and having to wait two years to get the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, I'm so excited for that game. It's looking so good. Okay, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Three invents a flute to create a new sound for its soundtrack. I saw that. That's so cool. Yeah, like, that's going just above wild. And I love detail work like that. And then uh, Mario Kart Deluxe Booster Course Wave 2. That that happened. There, uh, yeah, there's more sure, Mario Kart. That sure exists. Waluigi yep. Pinball is back. That was neat. But, like, I'm not... It is. They, they replaced the giant mechanical Waluigi that was a JPEG with an actual JPEG billboard Waluigi. Improvements? Is it? I like the mean one better. Uh, they got Tor Sydney Sprint. That one's a good one. Interesting thing they're doing with Calamari Desert, though, is they're changing the track for every lap, including taking one lap that goes through the train tunnel. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. They're just taking three variants from Tour, but oh, like, okay. so it's a lot easier than it sounds. And then there's a big ice cream mountain, Sky High Sunday, and that's new. Sure. I, I have a hard time carrying there's a noticeable enough dip in the quality between that and the stuff that was in the old DLC in the main game that it's just, it, it kind of feels cheap. I mean, like, Mario Kart isn't even in my top three kart racing series, so like... <laughs> that too, that too. Okay. It's just like, I, I am totally whelmed by Mario Kart. It exists, it serves its purpose well, I play it, I move on, and I don't think about it. Except Tour, which has me because I didn't pull PD Piranha, and I'm upset about it. <laughs> I haven't been able to play him for years, okay? It's got the gotcha hooks in you. I haven't paid a dime to it, but I also have a level 6 Funky Kong, so. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe Strikers? Let's put Shy Guy and Daisy in there. Maybe Peter will follow. I don't know. Oh, have you seen Shy Guy's losing animation in that? Yes. Oh, oh. It's just no soul. Yeah. Looking at the shadow. Oh, it's so good. No thoughts, heart empty. And then finally, 
What do you know about Near Church? I know that it was a crazy thing for a while that ended up being, it was kind of like the Rayman leak that um, Artsy Omni did, was a showcase of really talented modders just blowing the socks out of the entire community. Okay, so to chronicle exactly what happened, um, it was revealed that a player had found a new door in Near Automata, and that led to a quaint little church area, and it was cute and it was nice, but no one had been able to find it before. And the thing about this is, just last year, people discovered the secret to Near Automata, which is by doing a very precise number of inputs, you were able to skip from the start of the game directly to the final credit sequence. And this was an intended developer secret that Yoko Taro confirmed that he put in the game for people to find. And it took them about four years to do so. So it's the kind of game that you could expect, like, there's just random things here that nobody's found yet. Mm -hmm. The thing with this is that no one was able to replicate spawning this door, but modding for the game wasn't good enough that it was thought to be able to fake it. The modding community actively looked at it and went, yeah, there's no way in hell we could do this. Like, we're not there. And then a developer from Nier Automata retweeted it and said, yes, I wouldn't put it past Taro-san. So that was the state of it, with people trying repeatedly again and again to try and find this door. But then the modders started streaming to the modding Discord that they had found extra areas in it, including a previous boss from the game, and then they continued on, and then they found a birdhouse from Near Replicant. <laughs> yes! That was completely programmed in functionally to function exactly as it did in Near Replicant with soul-searching questions. And people were going, what the hell is this? And then the person who was leaking it complimented 2B's ass on Reddit. And people were like, is this Yoko Taro? Because it was right. so in character. It was exactly how he would act, and he just was dead silent outside of this. To the point where there was a stream on the modding Discord where everyone was joined in to reenact a finale to the games, one of their endings, of everyone coming together and support and cheer on one person fighting it. And then it was revealed to be a modding effort. Oh, I, I love that so much. That is, that is, <laughs> I, I, I respect pranks that go all out in trying to, like, if you, if you put some solid work into that, I don't care what the outcome is, I respect the hell out of you for it. Yep. And they went, we didn't ex anticipate this to be like an ARG. We didn't think it was. We didn't intend to impersonate Yoko Taro. But like, it all just happened to work out perfectly. And this could not happen with another fan base. And it could not be as fun as it was with another fan base. This is all to say, modders, y'all are great. They are so great. <sighs> some, some of the best content I've seen has come from the creative efforts of just people taking a game that they're passionate about and just trying to expand further on the things they really love about it. Oh, completely. Whew. And that is all I have for news stories for the past month. Um, all right. Couple fun releases coming out. Uh, Cult of the Lamb is coming out. Yes! I'm so excited for that one. I love that art style. 
uh, Soul so Hackers 2 is coming out. So there's your Atlas game of the year, everyone. Oh, right. That one. <laughs> yeah, that one. The, the, the one with the blonde but green. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Cowabunga Collection. Nice. Which just should be fun. Good to have those. Uh, Pac-Man World Repack is coming out. Saints Row is coming out. Frog Gun is coming out. That's it. Yeah, I, I'll, I think I'll pick up Cult of the Lamb. No, nothing else really speaks to me. I don't think I'm picking up anything. I've got enough on my plate right now. I've got to go back and play Klonoa after I finish Live Alive completely. It's good, good to have the smaller months, though. Otherwise, yeah. the backlog becomes unbearable. Oh, God, yep. Um, And then video's coming out. Um, I didn't release any in the month of July. Sorry. I can't imagine why. Uh, to make up for it, I will likely have two releasing these this month, and they will be longer form videos. So nice. Is one Diddy? Yes. Is one something else? Yes. But yeah, guys, I am just busy. But trust me, I've got a lot coming out, and we should have a ton of videos out for you by the end of the year. Uh, for sure, I, I can I can parrot that because I'm helping with some of them. <laughs> yeah, yep. Is big plan. Big things coming. Look forward to big plan. Exactly. Uh, for me, myself, I also haven't gotten much. I finished the Ditto thing. Just, just yeah. wanted to pull something really really quick together to support Yogg. I'm not saying it's a competition to support Yogg, but if it was, I'm winning right now. I'm just saying. Just out. <laughs> no, you are. You are. That's fair. Uh, apart from that, I don't know if I'm going to finish anything this month. I, I'm I'm still at a point where my body can't quite handle the work I am doing right now, so I need to like spend a day or two recovering from the work I do. I I should pick up soon. I'm I'm just I don't know what my workflow is going to be during this week. I'm still working on Ridley, uh, working on another big design for one as well. I'll I'll probably talk about it next time because I'll probably still be working on it next time. But what if I want it sooner? And I will do my best, but I will. No, I am going to make no promises that I don't know if I'm going to be able no, to. No, keep. it's okay. Sacrifice your burnt bones for time to edit for me. You know what? You're right. I will. I will push through the sunburns and the dehydration, and I will figure it out. It, it is. A, it is a video I am very, 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 very passionate about. One about <laughs> one of my favorite characters of all time. So if any, if I'm going to finish anything, it's probably that. Yeah. I need well, videos. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll try. Also, peasant's <laughs> yeah, perspective, in the middle of the month, it's going to be a monthly thing moving forward because it is easy to make. Nice. Should be good. Cool. And that's all. All right. Let's hit the bonus stage. Yes. Welcome to bonus stage. I'm, I'm pointing to, like, if there was a band there to play the music. <laughs> I'm realizing that it's just a painting of a flower I'm pointing at, but... Hey, and that, that flower can pull out some drumsticks with its leaves and start doing that steam. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you want to go? You want me to go? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first this time. All right. Oh, let's see. I said last time that I wanted to talk about the boys, but it wasn't quite finished yet. Guess what? It is finished yet. So I will be talking about the boys. Tell me about the boys. Are they back in town? Uh, they are very back in town, and a lot's oh. happening. Uh, but I, I, I want to start this first because um, 
I feel like out of anything I could ever talk about, I should probably could put a content warning before I say anything about this. Because oh, this yes, show for is this show? fucked up. Yeah. It is yeah. a very fucked up show. Yeah. It is an, is an in-depth look at how superheroes would really act and be treated if they existed in modern society. They are basically gods. They can do whatever they want and get away with it. And the show holds zero punches in showing that as gruesomely as possible. People die in awful ways. They are manipulated in awful ways. I had to pause and walk away a few times just to process what has happened in this show. And that's not even just because of the gourds. Just because I had to take a moment to just wrap my head around how horrendously evil a character's actions were. So, you know, viewer discretion is advised. Like, I, even... <laughs> Understandably so. If, okay, if now tell me young, about it. Okay, I, I'm going to spoil one of the first moments in the show. I feel okay with spoiling this because it's like the first 10 minutes of the first episode. Right. Okay, so so you, so you have this this nerdy character talking to his girlfriend on the side of the street. It's all it's all cute. They're being whole, nice and wholesome to each other, kind of talking about maybe we'll move in together, maybe we'll not. Just it's The camera is facing her, and just one moment she's there, and the next moment she's just gone. You, you hear the sound like um the Doppler effect of like a train going by just for a, just for a split second. Uh, and the camera pulls back to the guy that he's talking to, and it's very, very slow motion. He's just kind of blinking very slowly, and you just see just a spot of gore hit the side of his face. As the camera pans to this very slow motion, very gruesome, just splatter of his girlfriend mid just disintegration, slowly flying through the air and then quickly falling to the ground as this versions of the Flash, this universe's version of the Flash, had just accidentally run straight through her. The guy is still holding onto her arms as that has happened. This is the Whoops. first ten minutes of the show. That's a shame. You see the flash going like, I, I'm sorry, I can't stop, and just runs off, and the, the gut dude just kind of just, he's being traumatized, and he just kind of starts screaming her name. Is it shock value? Yes. And a lot of people kind of write this series off because, oh, it's just being gruesome for the sake of being gruesome. But I will argue that it's so much more than that. The shock value acts in service of the story and the characters, as the actors will believably sell every single bit of mental trauma and horror of what they go through. Like, for example, that moment scars that character. I, he's arguably the main character of the series mm -hmm. so thoroughly that it's still a plot point three seasons later because, of course, it is. How could it not be? <laughs> yeah, I get that. One of the smartest things that this show does is, despite reaching into the depths of human depravity, it doesn't shy away from giving its villains sympathetic qualities. Uh, Good. For example, uh, Homelander, you know Homelander, right? Superman yes. equivalent. Yes. Uh, he's flies, laser eyes, and killable god, and that's warped how he sees the world. He sees himself as, well, a god. He can do whatever he wants. I could probably spend this entire time just praising the performance of his actor, Anthony Starr. The sheer aura of intimidation he puts out makes every scene he's in just unbearably tense. You don't feel right sitting in your seat when he's around. He always feels like he's two steps away from snapping at the world and casually destroying a city just for the fun of it. 12 out of 10 acting, it's insane. But despite all that, and all the vile things he does with his power, you perfectly understand why he is the way he is. The show reveals that he was raised essentially as a science experiment, locked in a lab his entire youth. No family, no friends, nothing. He's been molded as a tool for the superhero corporation of this world his entire life, and that's shattered him. 
You see him break down multiple times when he's on his own. You see him struggle to connect with people. He's desperate to find some shred of, of love and connection, a family bond that he never had growing up, any escape from his crippling loneliness, but he can't get it because he's just that far gone. He's too far removed of it, from it all. I, I don't want to say he's a Disney it. child actor, but I also want to say he's a Disney <laughs> child actor. I'll, I'll get to the, I'll get to some of that stuff later. Okay, that, there is some of that. Oh God. Okay. His like his development. He doesn't know how to interact with others. It doesn't forgive his actions in the slightest. He will deeply traumatize and or kill people just for fun. But it does make his character understandable. It makes the viewer question what could have been if his upbringing had been better, which I would argue is a hallmark for some of the best written villains. Uh, you know, I'll talk about a Disney child actor in this show. I wasn't planning on play talking about this, but it kind of fits perfectly there. There's a kid actor that could read minds. And okay. he had a whole TV show based around um, just like he he'd go to criminals and just touch their arms. He can transmit through their skin just to see if they're lying or not and that was his little kid tv show mm -hmm. but it, in the present day he's washed out it's it's actually played by the guy that voices sora which is hilarious <laughs> oh oh and it buddy. just has a has a very broken look at this guy and just how he's trying to to regain his fame he does awful things for that he's done awful things in the past like embezzlement and stuff to it's like it abuse his power and there's a really heartbreaking scene where he goes to see his daughter and like someone he hasn't, she hasn't seen her in a while, and he just tells the person looking after her, just like you, you can go around. I, I, I felt that she doesn't want to see him anymore because he read her mind, and just it put, it does not pull any punches with just how awful it can be at showing just like both what breaks people and what they have become after they are broken. It's a very heavy show. Yeah, but it sounds feel good in, in like the same way that Squid Games feels good because haha funny people get shot. Oh, the, the, it, it is very, 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 very funny. Like it, it, it delights from just bouncing back and forth and back and forth between just soul crushing. Just you have to step, take a step away from the TV and laugh out loud. Just what the hell just happened? There is a again, viewer discretion is advised. There is one character. They go into this lab where they are just looking at like failed superheroes basically mm -hmm. there is a guy with a prehensile dick that is about 15 feet long it's the, it's the stupidest thing ever and it's 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 play for laughs it's play for can he strangle people with his prehensile dick that is very literally what happens to one of the characters good like beat for beat <laughs> Is there a scene where Homelander is like, oh, I can't, babe. I will kill you with my super sperm. Um, uh, uh, hard to answer. I, I can't quite say yes or no to that. Does he not ask and it just happens? Uh, not him, but that does happen multiple oh. times in various ways with various superheroes. Ah. Like, you know, you know the meme of that of Ant-Man going up Thanos' ass to kill yes. him? Yes, yes. Uh, not quite that, but a similar vibe. If you can imagine a gruesome thing, this sh the show's already one-upped you. Okay. I, I, I deeply worry for the psychology of the people that are working on okay. I just wanted to know how deep into the, but what if Superman did this jokes that we're into? So if uh, we're yeah, in this deep, I'm happy. I You'll be consistently amazed by how far it goes. There was a new character added to this show called Soldier Boy. He's this world's equivalent of Captain America. 
uh, okay. original superhero, veteran, big shield, was locked away from the world for years, etc. Mm-hmm. He is a fascinating character. Uh, you're shown that in the past he was basically the same as Homelander, doing whatever he wants, beating people to the brink of death just for fun or to teach them a lesson. Uh, it's, he's old, so he fought against civil rights movements and maybe assassinated Kevin Lee? I don't know. It was really unclear. But then he was put through torturous hell for several decades and gets brought back into the modern era, and you have another broken character. He's got severe PTSD over everything he's been through, but he has, he's the embodiment of outdated machismo, that alpha male sort of mindset, so he refuses to admit he's got anything wrong with him, bottling everything inside because he's not willing to acknowledge his trauma. He wants to be that perfect soldier, the symbol of patriotism he was advertised as, but he can't, violently snapping when his pain becomes too much to bear. Again, doesn't justify his actions in the slightest, but the show isn't afraid of making you feel for a villain's agony, which creates a very compelling villain. So, you, you keep saying that these are all villains. Are the villains the boys? Uh, no, the boys are a group of, well, well kind of, actually. Not, there, there are very few outright good characters in this show. Like, even the best of characters will occasionally snap from time to time, and even the worst of them will occasionally do something good. Right. Uh, the boys are a group that are, have brought, been brought together to try and kill all the superheroes. They, they hate what they've done to the world, they hate the power that they use unchecked, and all the terrible things they've done to people, so they try to work to remove the superheroes from the world. Okay. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of trying to figure out how the hell do we kill God, basically. There's a lot of, um, a lot of fun, like, almost a puzzle of just trying to figure out a hero's weaknesses, try to get around them, and then... Uh, this is a fairly recent one. There's one that has, um, basically Ironheart skin, so they, they they shove a bomb up his butt and blow him up from the inside. I would have used poison, guys. That sounds just needlessly, but amusingly fun. So that, that, that's the main conflict of the show. It's basically them trying to figure out how to kill the god Homelander. No, that is, that is fun. That is a solid premise. A lot of things are... Really, really fun with that. Um, not to bring it back to Pratchett again, but Hogfather, half of the premise of the plot is, okay, we need you to assassinate Santa Claus. <laughs> How do you kill a metacontextual being? And the way that they go about that is so much fun. To, so to see that applied to a more simple, okay, how you kill superheroes, that's still fun. Still love that. I, just all... I, 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 it's easy to praise, like, the... The fun and the the gruesomeness and just the the adrenaline rush of the show, but I think it's at its best with the writing. Like the show isn't afraid of having a character start doing a few good things and to start falling back on destructive habits or push a pure character down a dark path. It makes it feel like it's a story that could actually be happening in our world. No small problem to do is just like I think every actor is good. I think the directing's amazing. Uh, great soundtrack. Good. Lots of Billy Joel. Love that. Oh, fun. But I, I, I think the best thing about this show is how it's, um, the very cynical take it does on how commercialized the superheroes are in this world. It amazes me to no end that one of the most critical shows I've seen of massive corporations is coming from Amazon, of all places. Yeah, okay. But, it, but it's full of heroes complaining about their, their merchandise not selling well, being more concerned with their, their approval ratings than actually saving people. The, the amount of product placement they made to sell how commercialized these heroes are astounding. And I'm not talking like like Coke and stuff like that, but like there, that's, there's plenty of that there. You'll have like ads of these heroes doing ads for like real life products, but they'll also make like fictionalized products themed around these superheroes. Like they're, 
Every energy drink is themed after the Flash equivalent. There's a Disneyland equivalent for, like, the superheroes. Again, viewer discretion is advised. There's porn parodies of the heroes that were commissioned and created by the showrunners. But more so than all of that, it shows a very cynical, brutal look at how corporations and celebrities view real-world issues. Like, uh, let me think of some examples. There's, um... Forcing a new superhero to wear a more revealing outfit, with analysts spinning it about the sex appeal showcasing female empowerment, even though it's against the superhero's will. Mm-hmm. Or uh, one of the superheroes gets outed as bisexual, again against her will, because there's plenty of awful people in this show. And so the superhero corporation starts exploiting that for brownie points. The, the demographics that an action will appeal to is something that's brought up a lot in this show. So they bring her partner in and force her to wear masculine clothing because our research shows people react more positively to lesbian pairings when classic gender roles are still in play. And when her pr- partner corrects them that the hero is bisexual, they correct her and say, no, advertising her as a lesbian will have lead to more positive results. It's just, it's really cynical with things like that, but in such a strong way. Like showcasing like what things ha- actually are and how corporates always, how corporations also always bastardize them. Yep. Oh, I like that. I'm liking this. A new conflict in the third season is the major black superhero, this is the Flash equivalent, Mm -hmm. trying to rebrand himself to reconnect with his African roots and culture and getting called out by his non-superhero family that he doesn't care about that. He's so lost in celebrity culture that he's lost touch with his community and has turned a blind eye to the racist police brutality that many other superheroes have committed. Um, A literal line he says is, I'm not Malcolm X-Man, I'm Michael Jordan. And yeah, this okay. season shows his struggle trying to come to terms with that disconnect and his struggles and failures to be a symbol for that equality. And that's the same character that ran through that girl at the beginning, by the way. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not afraid to, like, try to, like, take the, every character in this show is so complex. Like, I, I, I already forgot that he did that, I, like, halfway through the, the third season because I was actually trying to root for him. Like, yeah, you're, you're, starting, to, you're starting to get it. You're starting to learn. And you just, then, you, then you have him run into that, um, the, the guy that he ran through his girlfriend again, and just remember that, oh shit, right, that conflict is still there. Uh, uh, I did do that, didn't I? Damn. Exactly, and he, and he starts to like, feel remorse at that point, and it's just like, characters grow so strongly in this show. You have characters exploiting political parties, characters exploiting religion, basically every social issue is on the table for this show, and it keeps very up-to-date with mod- mocking current trends while it does so. Like, do you remember at the, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was that widely panned um, video where a bunch of celebrities just started singing Imagine to try to make people feel better. Yes. Like being locked up and stuff. Yes. There is a literal cold open of the show as celebrities and superheroes are singing that in response to a terror attack. It's the same <laughs> song. It's the same thing. Oh, good. Oh, delightful. Remember when um, Marvel tried to have a girl power moment in Avengers Endgame? The, the company that refused to do a, st- a show starring a woman for a decade and didn't give Black Widow one until after she was dead? In this show, they have the superheroes filming a show starring themselves with a really cheesy moment where the women all gather together, look at the camera and say, we can do it because girls get it done. It's, it's cringy, it's corny, because it's supposed to be. But later right. in the show, in an actual conflict with a serious villain, there's an epic beatdown between a bunch of women superheroes with zero fanfare, zero glamour. They're literally kicking the shit out of a villain as another character looks on stun and says, oh shit, girls do get it done. <laughs> like, it's parodying that Marvel moment while simultaneously doing it so much better. Good. And there's just, there's dozens of things like that. It's, it, it gets harped on a bit for politics, which is sometimes honestly a sign of quality these days. Yes, 
Everything like, is it, politics. Shut up. It, it really is. I, I've never understood that complaint, but like, it's so strong with its commentary on both commentary on really everything that it deals with. I do have one bad thing to say, though. Okay. The third season needed like two more episodes. Mm. I, I was loving it right up to the end, but it became very clear that they they just ran out of time. Mm. It, it, they did still stick the landing. Like the final final shot of that season is so impactful. But like they had they had like five different character arcs, and then they just had to cram them all into an hour length. And it, it just some of it fell really flat. Hurts to see it. I, I'm still excited for the next season. I just just couldn't talk about this without bringing that up. No, that's that's fair. But yeah, if if you can stomach both gore, human depravity, I I can't say specific things that happen because those the the fact that those things happen in of themselves are spoilers. Okay. Uh, gosh, just it is an extremely impactful show that was made with. Can I say this was made with love? I, I feel you, like this you was kind of made with a spite towards humanity, but they love doing it. <laughs> yeah. Spice it's is a kind really of love. Good. It's so good. I want to thank you for going over this because the fact of the matter is I did write this off because of the gore aspects, because I thought it was just exploitative of the time. But hearing more about it and hearing the further development of it is the push I need to look at it. So thank you. I, 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 ho- I hope you do. I, please let me know if you do, because there, there, are, uh, there are moments of this show I would kill to see people's gut reactions to just to, just to be in a room not watching the show but just watching them it's one of those kind of shows Ye- oh okay yes yes understood but yeah very good show i would rate it very highly and recommend it if you can stomach it <laughs> all right sounds nice to me let me ask you a question okay shoot what do you know about gendy tartoski's popeye film ah uh, i've seen the trailer for it I right. thought it looked amazing. Yes. I know Gendy's Tarkovsky's reputation. Like, that's Samurai, Samurai Jack, right? Yes. Yeah. So I was excited for it and deeply disappointed that it never came to fruition. Yes. So this was Gendy's dream project. He has always wanted to work on Popeye. And the trailer was released in 2016, or I believe 2015 for a 2016 release. So something akin to that. And it was such a fun, a riotous time. A lot of it was finished by 2013, but was put into a sort of development hell. And then the movie, while they got enough for that trailer and that teaser, all assets for it were passed over and placed on the Emoji movie instead. Ouch. Yeah, that is that is where the Popeye project languished. Uh, Earlier this year, there were reports that it might be getting revived and then we heard nothing from it. And then the fully voiced, fully scored storyboards were leaked onto the internet this month for the full 90 minute film as it was planned, fully voiced, fully set in 2013. This was quickly taken down by Sony, but it was archived. I am sure you are able to find it. So I watched through the unreleased storyboards of the Popeye film. And before I get into the film, I am going to get into Popeye in general, because Popeye might be my favorite cartoon character of all time. Oh, wow. Okay. It is such a joy to watch Popeye in motion. 
I feel that he takes the best of his era, you know, excepting the horrible racism. But outside of the horrible racism, when he's not doing that, it is exceptional to watch Popeye at work. The Fleischer Studios method of creating these shorts is nothing short of astounding. Cartoons were seen as a base novelty that was fading until the release of Steamboat Willie, which married cartoons with sound and created something that the world could not get enough of. Popeye is that taken to the next level. What Popeye would do is that he would take a recently composed hit of the day and he would incorporate that as the main theme. He would take uh, the recently released song Dreamwalkin' and he would make it a cartoon about sleepwalking and use the instrumental of that to fuel every beat of it. And what I adore about Popeye is how he synchronizes all of his comedy, all of his punches, every little bit of it to some sort of musical beat. The way that Popeye flows is like watching moving art. It's like watching a music video. And it's like watching a comic strip fused all in one, taken to the nth degree, to the ultimate level, to that crescendo of when the Popeye theme eventually hits and you get that final mix of everything. It's just... It's beautiful. It's storytelling in all of its art forms mixed down into about six or seven minutes. And Popeye at its best is just, to me, one of the most pure expressions of art and comedy and just purity in self-expression that I've ever seen. I love Popeye to absolute death. And then you take on top of it all of the rotoscoping, all the panoramic views, all of the model sets that they put into it. And all of the little things, like, Popeye is a shockingly dialogue-heavy cartoon, but almost all of it feels like improvisation. It's just the actors going, Oh, Skinny, what, what are you doing there? Uh, I don't know what you're doing there. One of my favorite bits is uh, in the Technicolor film, Aladdin and His Wonderful Lamp, where Popeye is playing the role of Aladdin for a film script for Olive Oil, and she's playing the part of Jasmine, and they're getting to the scene where he's going onto his balcony, and he's like, Oh, Popeye, will you come here? And Popeye goes, Oh, gosh, oh, gee, I don't know if I should. I, I've never made love in Technicolor befores. <laughs> and I was howling in laughter at that. Howling! <laughs> it is so funny, so witty. There's such... All the characters constantly play off of each other in dialogue or in motion. And it's... It's one of the favorite things. One of my favorite things is uh, Popeye the Sailor meets Sinbad the Sailor. And that is public domain. You could play this on the video right now if you wanted to. Nice. I'll probably do that. It is incredible to watch. I There's so many of the original Popeye shorts that are so worth watching and still stand out to me. And I absolutely adore watching them. The Popeye 2013 movie gets it right, I would say, a solid 25% of the time. Oh, no. There are some moments in this film where I am so incredibly happy. Like I said with the dreamwalking sequence, they do that again, and they do it with such emotion and such a life. Even though these are just still images and paintings, you can feel the energy 
when you move from place to place, and they use a very modern amount of comedy, and there's such a snappiness to it. Uh, Gendy also directed the Hotel Transylvania movies, so that sense of motion is infused into Popeye. That sort of just start and stop animation, and when it gets going, it is so great. What they do with the sea hag, who is mostly a comics-only character, and mix her into Popeye's mythos, and mix her into the Goonie Land sequence from the original shorts, is so much fun! It's so great to see! And then the rest of the movie is a 2010, Oh, I'm a fish out of water. People don't understand me. Here's a modern pop song. No. I mean, I'm not surprised, but no. I'm not surprised either. But the thing is, you can make that work for Popeye. Popeye's contemporary in a way that not a lot of other cartoons are. He's timeless, but he mixes in with whatever elements of modern Americana exist. And I wish they did more with that. They don't. They just sort of do the thing where, ah. Oh, this is a funny sequence. Popeye is cross-dressing. Here's a funny modern song that goes with that. It doesn't get the rhythm of Popeye right, which is what hurts me the most. Sometimes it does, and what it does with animation is incredible. Like, you you saw that Popeye short. That's incredible. Absolutely, right? yeah. But that short is divorced to me from what makes Popeye good. that That's great animation, astounding animation even. And at times, it really does get at the heart of things. But ultimately, the marriage of Popeye to music, the idea of making it a celebration of motion mixed in with the emotion of the scene just doesn't get there because Popeye is still going, oh, I was just the orphan in the spinach crate and your olive oil, the girl on the hill. We'll never get together. And it's a shame. Tom Kenny does a bang-up job as Popeye's voice. He really does. Like, that's as close of an impression as you're going to get. But that said, I do like their portrayal of olive oil in this film as just a sort of general, oh, I'm a girl who's been trapped in the birdcage and gets to be set free. The fact of the matter is they get to make her goofy. They get to make their expression of... What freedom is, is not just like, oh, I get to do the cool girl power things. It's a matter of spontaneity. It's an idea of just doing the goofy cartoon things as they come to you and going with the flow and the rhythm of the world. And when they lean into that, it's really fun to see. And I think that that gives Olive Oil and Popeye chemistry. Uh, Bluto is basically a throwaway, and I feel awful about that. I adore Bluto. But he doesn't really have a place in this outside of, I want to marry Olive Oil, and I don't like Popeye. And he's fun, but he's just there obligatorily, and <sighs> I think one of the big issues with it is that this isn't a strong dialogue movie in the way that Popeye originally was. It's, it's not a lot of improv. It feels very scripted. It feels very... Why does everyone have to be so different? No one will ever love me. And that's that's a shame to me. With that said, despite that, I still had a good time watching this. Oh, I'm sure. Like Yeah. The ideas, the imagination that they have with it, the way that they're able to portray the fun and violence of Popeye is very nicely done. They only use the spinach about three times, and it's a great moment every single time. 
but the ebb and the flow to get there, it's like, this is good, but it is not why I love Popeye. I think that this script needed a few more passes, and it needed to not be overseen and marketed. Because if you've seen Horton Hears a Who, if you've seen Hotel Transylvania, if you've seen any movie released from, like, 2008 to 2017, then you know the basic story beats of this film. Yep. <laughs> I don't even know if it's like the script needs another pass. It just feels like the shows are getting too cookie cutter. Yeah. And like, can you fit Popeye into a cookie cutter? Yes, Hanna-Barbera did it very successfully in the, in the 70s and 80s. It made a ton of money, despite it not being good. But gosh... There's this era of, like, pre-50s Popeye, because I feel like 50s Popeye is when he starts getting a bit more standardized and simple, but the original run in the 30s and 40s are just peak animation to me. And not just, like, the idea and concept of animation, but what it means to really marry all of the aspects that make a cartoon a cartoon together. And I was hoping this would get that, and it gets there sometimes. Like, there are parts of this movie that I am ungodly amounts of in love with but there's also the rest of the film and it's okay with that said it is the craziest thing that this even exists and gets leaked out online like oh my god it's such a cool moment to just indulge in that and to see art that never came to be but really wanted to be expressed i wish that happened more Mm -hmm. like there are so many lost projects out there that we we know existed at some point but that that's the extent of our knowledge, and I, I I can't see this like starting something and being like, yeah, we can we can show this too, we can show this too, but it's it, it's nice to get the chance at least. Yes. So that's just my thing. Um, if you are a small child or even an adult child who are like, why are you talking about this stuff? This is pre boomer. Please check out Popeye. He's excellent. Uh, I'll be honest, I've never really thought much of him. I he was always a bit of a. Bit of a vanilla character, but you've really opened my eyes to the the quality of his shorts. Bro, how can you like Cuphead so much and say that? I know, I know, I grew up Mickey Mouse, man. It, it was it was Disney all the way down. Oh gosh. I, also, I hated spinach growing up. That actually probably had a big part of it. Understandable, but that man caused spinach sales to go up so much. You know? Oh, I'm sure. We're we're watching a Popeye short after we finish this. You know what? Fair, fair. Yeah, we're doing it. You want, to see, you want to see So You Want to Be a Lifeguard? I love that show. Let's do that one. Sure. But yeah, that's my thoughts. Popeye was great. This is cool that it happened. It would have been a solid 6 out of 10 film. Is it better than Blue's Clues Alphabet Adventure? Yes, it made me happy. There okay, were times yeah. at this that I was like, oh my god, they did the th- They brought back the mute. Yo, looky the Goonie. He looks so good. Like I was a weird freak who popped off for things that are references to the 40s. <laughs> I, I just talked about Cuphead, man. You're good. Okay. <sighs> yeah, that's me. That's the bonus stage. It's done. Watch Popeye. Alrighty. Let's move on and finish up with some comments. All right. Okay, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, favoritism in full is in full force here, but for obvious reasons, as we have a comment from our beloved Crash and Smash. Thank you, Mr. Crash and Smash. 
makes all the music on this, please check out his content. If you have not already, we would very much appreciate it. Please do. Uh, has four questions, all of which are pretty short, so I feel fine asking all of them. Okay. Uh, what makes a good controller for you? Um, when it doesn't sink into my hand and cut into my hand and I go, ow, that, that's a start. <laughs> but seriously, the roundedness of a controller and the ability to fit comfortably within the palms is the major thing for me. Yeah, being able to reach as many buttons as I need to. He, he a asks right after this, what's your favorite and least liked controllers? I can easily say least liked, despite how much nostalgia I for it, I hate the N64 controller. <laughs> See, I would like the N64 controller if the control stick wasn't awful. It is legitimately just the stick for me that takes it away. Um, honestly, the NES pad is just so rigid and so uncomfortable to hold after a long period of time that I, I just don't enjoy it. There's a reason that the SNES controller became curved. Yeah, for sure. I like the original PlayStation controller before they added the DualShock, so you kind of had to extend your hands a little much. But just the feel of that original D-pad and those that four-button control, and the way that it naturally bended the little prongs to hold on to into the palms of your hands, so that you're always sort of pinching the buttons so you had the best grip possible, that's just a really comfortable grip for me. I really appreciate it. Nice. I think that's my favorite out of the ones that I've... Like, I'm always going to have a soft spot for the GameCube controller, but I think I actually like the PS4 one more. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just cozy. It's just like mm -hmm. decades of studies have shown that this is a really good shape for a controller to have. Yeah, I, I do feel like the L1 and R1 divots are a bit high, and sometimes I pinch my uh, skin against just the depression of those holes in specific. But other than that, yeah, I do like those a lot. Oh, and, and obviously, uh, the DK bongos. <laughs> that's, that's the true answer. That's the true answer right there. Because they have a clap sensor, but it just senses sound, so you can just scream into it, and it will act as a button mash. And that's my favorite thing. That's hilarious. Uh, I'll throw another bad one in. It's that the, the new 3DS, I hated that minuscule little extra... Do you remember that little extra control stick they added to that? Yes, that the baby nub. That looked like a button? Yeah, exactly that. I would rather do, like, a Monster Hunter claw to try and, like, play Monster Hunter on that game with the, the D-pad than try to figure out that stupid little nub. Mm -hmm. Hate that nub. Oh, wait. Sideways Wiimote. Hate that. Oh, yeah, that's... Oh, yes, that one. Yeah. Metroid Other M. That, that ru... I'm not gonna say that ruined that game, but that was awful. The way that that D-pad just sinks and cuts into your hand works perfectly well as a remote. Awful to play as an NES controller substitute. Amen to that. And these are just two throwaway questions that he added to this, but why did you have to tell me that Queen Bee's eyes are the things on her head and not the human eye-looking things? I also have this question. Why? <laughs> because I have to have you have an honest experience with it. And like, you know that clip from American Dragon Jake Long where he turns into a dragon and the guy is like, nice. When the girl turns into a horrible monster. It's like that. Ugh. And then the last question was literally just, why do you guys literally watch the same stuff that he does? It's because talent recognizes talents. Yes. Go watch Crash and Smash. I, I see in that comment you said that if I make that quick concept thing, we'll literally drink water or something. So go get hydrated. Please. <laughs> also says that fun fact from the Crash Team r Racing Natural Field D makes, recreating music on MDI 
MIDI sequences entirely by ear is very hard, and he's glad that we like those. We do. I do. I really like they those. Very good. You know, the Mega Mix Mayhem mix that you did is really solid, dude. Really enjoyed that. Let's grab this one from Master to Gamer. Uh, asks, asks question, seems we just went through the E3 season last month. What are some of your favorite presentations like that? Be it directs or E3 editions that gave you the most concentrated things wanted to see, you wanted to see? Did any stick out to you? Uh, when Reggie said, if you listen, you can hear it coming. And then DK Island Swing popped in and Donkey Kong Country returned. Like, that moment is etched into my memory so deeply. Trying to think if I have any particular like that. Like, there's not a lot otherwise that specifically leaps out aside from when uh, me, Connor Gooms, and Tarvold were all on stream and they revealed Live Alive and we all shout, <laughs> It's Us. That's great. Because they're like, what is it? It kind of looks like, and then we saw the present day training room, and we just all instantly at the same moment got it. I think on that level, not not for me, but I always remember, um, it was before they became easy allies at game trailers, the show that was, the Sony presentation that was Final Fantasy VII Remake, Last Guardian, and um, Shenmue Three. If anybody hasn't seen that reaction to it. It's one of the most wholesome and beautiful things. Just look up game trailers, Final Fantasy VII Remake, and Shenmue 3, and you'll get it. it is, it's pro probably the most concentrated, uh, like, thing of human happiness that I've ever seen. It's going between two things that people wanted very dearly and just seeing them absolutely break down. I, I love that presentation for that so much. On a similar note, I do remember that um, during one of the presentations, the director for Mario Plus Rabbids uh, when he learned that he was oh, going to be yes. making a Mario game and cried. Oh, and just that was that so feeling wholesome. of emotions. I, I remember feeling kind of off about Mario plus Rabbids when I was first seeing it, because I, I, I'm a big XCOM fan, well, but I saw that, was. and my, just, my heart melted. Yes. Also, it was very funny just to see Miyamoto and the Ubisoft guy just pointing guns at each other. Yeah. That, that's, that's a fun mental image. And then one more from uh, the FF14 devs. Um... The main composer got very, very ill while he was composing, I believe it was the Shadowbringers expansion, and uh, wasn't sure if he was going to pull through. So he was composing this song about the inevitability of the end and life and death itself that was one of the most beautiful pieces on the soundtrack. And eventually he recovered and they were talking about it. And the director looked at him and he said, I'm just so happy I get to welcome my friend back home. Oh, just moments like that are what will always get me. And also Donkey Kong. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, on the flip side of that, I love any presentation that just has fun with it. I will, I will happily watch each and every single Devolver digital presentation just because they know what they are. And they, and they love it. The fact the fact that they had like the never ending story bits and the, at the end of that last one, I, I was in tears laughing at that. Yeah. Oh god. Oh god. When Yoko Taro was doing an interview for Nier, uh, he didn't want to be shown on camera, and this is before he started wearing the mask to everything. So he did the entire interview as a sock puppet. <laughs> and then when the interview ended, he said, "Thank you. I fulfilled my purpose," and the sock puppet died. <laughs> Oh, that, that, there's a lot of great stuff out there. We yes. could probably come up with more if we actually researched for a bit. But like, 
I, I just love it when they have fun with it. Uh, yeah. So let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, I have a question for you. I can't really answer this, but I okay. you might like it. Uh, from right. Justin, has a thought about JoJo video games. What genre would you make a new JoJo game? Of course, there's already fighting games, but some have tossed the idea of a JoJo tactics RPG or a JoJo puzzle game. Just once again that you use stand abilities to the fullest and allows players to feel like they are a stand user and figure out 5D chess plays to defeat the enemies in the game. Oh, that's easy. I want a JoJo adventure game in the style of Sam and Max. Ooh, I do like that. Just instead of having a use Max button, just a use stand button. There's a, there's a character in part four named Rohan Kibiche. I, I don't think I'm saying his last name right. Who has the stand Heaven's Door where he can look into your past and find any information about you by opening your face up and reading your life story like a manga panel. And then oh. <laughs> he can write in, because he is an author, his own future instructions for you to have to follow. Fascinating. I think applying that to adventure game logic would be one of the most fun things you could do. I mean, I'd play it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's why he got his own little spinoff, and not just because he's clearly an XB for the writer. <laughs> sure, sure. Which, I mean, to be fair, yeah, way to make yourself the antisocial weirdo mangaka. Well done, but stop saying it's not you. Uh, I, I had a question from Jared Hebert, J just asking about the Lord of the Rings challenge I threw out, uh, asking if that offer is open to viewers. And like... I can't do that? <laughs> really? Bro, you like, can't make him watch One Piece like ten times. But I, I, I will say that if I got a comment saying like, yo, I watched Lord of the Rings because of you, will you see some, you watch something for that? You are not going to guilt me stronger than if you do that. I, I can't guarantee it, but you will have a higher chance of success with that. That is the highest possible one. Yeah. Like, guys, yeah. if you ever say... I watched this because you recommended it, or I played this because you recommended it. Like, I will read that comment like ten times and really appreciate it. So, like, please be inspired by me more. Yes, I, I, and I respect you to try to weaponize that to get us interested in your, your things. Exactly. I will say no, but I'll I'll consider it for at least a second. Uh, I got a comment from uh, Deekso. I probably wanted to bring this up because I've been pronouncing it as Dykso this entire time. It's okay. Dixo. Got it. Just talking a bit about, um, just Lord of the Rings again. Uh, points out, wondering why they have never been a Lord of the Rings fighting game, which kind of just threw me for a loop thinking about, like, how, like, few genres they've tried to do with that franchise. Well, I mean, on it, the same token, name one good Star Wars fighting game. That's right, I thought so. I mean, true. It, I, I kind of just wanted to put the comment on the screen just to <laughs> correct my mispronunciations, but, like... I also just kind of want to will this into existence by bringing it up. <laughs> like, it brings up that Mary and Pippin as a two-in-one fighter would be an absolute blast, and that just made my, <laughs> my brain go crazy. Like, yes, uh, please. Hey, there's that'd multiverses now. That'd be great. Oh, please. I, I know that Gandalf was in the original leak. Like, I, yeah. I've seen that. I've seen the original artwork for that. That exists. It has to happen. I hope. Yes. But, like, it's, it's one of the biggest franchises out there. Please make me happy. It's so easy. You'd make, you'd, you'd make all the money... I respect saving it for DLC. I will pay for it. Twice. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. Now, when they start adding JoJo characters because they vaguely have the rights to do so, I'll be like, shit. <laughs> uh, that, that roster's going to get crazy, and I'm so excited to see it. Yeah.
Uh, this is a selfish one for me. Uh, I saw this comment and just kind of just wanted an excuse to talk about it. Uh, Reggie Feels Aim pointed out that since I never played Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, I missed out on Atul Ka. And I just want to talk about that creature for just a second, because you've given me an option to do so. Okay, yeah, take the platform. So, um, I was just talking about the Monster Hunter Devil, right? That was the end monster for Monster Hunter Sunbreak. Right. Super imposing, super terrifying. Uh, for Generations Ultimate, it was this thing. It's about ten feet tall. Oh, I like Sectonia. It's just a praying mantis. It's it's the Egyptian brain. It looks cool, but like compared yeah. to everything else that you've seen so far, it, it's it's just kind of there. No, I really like it. This is second to Dracula. Oh, yeah, it's a fantastic design, but it doesn't quite hit that same level of just awe-inspiring, oh shit, this is the final boss. In fact, historically in the series, these sorts of bug-like creatures are generally the weakest monsters. But then it starts spinning its webs and starts bringing out like different objects in the area to fight you with. Like, I'll send you another picture of this. It'll like <laughs> pull out a girder and start swinging the girder around like crazy. And if you get further in the fight, it will literally build itself a mech out of its silk. That thing's like <laughs> 10 stories tall. Oh, it is God. amazing. Oh, I like that so much. It, go it goes from Monster Hunter to freaking Metal Gear, and it's the most beautiful thing ever. Oh, it's such a hideous little grenade, man. I love it. Like, I was, I was talking about the Dragonators earlier. It will literally pull Dragonators, like the, the, mo the weapons that you've used in previous final battles, and use them against you. It's such a clever fat battle. I just wanted to shout it out here. Oh. And then... Do-do-do-do-do. I'll grab this from Dimension T Detective. Just asking for more channel recommendations. Because that's fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, speci specifically shouts out I Am Error on their end. Uh, specific oh, videos being what makes Tetris so satisfying, what's so bad about Solitaire. And the other is... Uh, gosh. Mrixert? Uh, spelled like it sounds? <laughs> And one of their longer videos, Does game Games Preservation Really Matter? Which I watch myself, and I can agree, that's a very good video. Oh damn, I Am Error has a two-hour video on Luigi. Shit, I'm gonna have to watch that. I <laughs> uh, Got any further recommendations on your end? Oh yeah, plenty. Um, it's just people that I've either worked with or have really enjoyed being close to. Uh, Tarvold's Quest was a great Let's Play channel, and now he's uh, moved on to... Um, a lot of longer form reviews and analysis. He just did one on Metroid Prime 3 and how it reminds him of other first person shooters, but simultaneously what it does to be unique and Metroid and what it does honestly better than the other Metroid Prime games as a feeling of exploration and how it's the first Metroid Prime game to him that doesn't feel like it's emulating a 2D Metroid and is allowed to be its own thing. And I thought that was a fascinating take I hadn't heard before. Nice. Let's see. I also have always been a fan of uh, Post Mesmeric, and uh, he does a ton of great videos, did a great one on the music of Metal Gear Rising, as well as he does a video every single year on Donkey Kong, and he does it on one of the games in the mainline series, and he just reached returns this year. So next year will be Tropical Freeze. There you go. So I have enjoyed those. And then, of course, Dinger City, which is just competitive Mario Superstar Baseball. I love those boys. 
Very nice. They have taught me so much about New York subculture and uh, late 2000s Cartoon Network that I didn't need to know, but I know now. And also baseball. Like, congratulations on getting me to care about baseball, something that I've given not a shit about outside of Mario Superstar Baseball for my entire life until now. I think on my... I, I want to shout out um, CGS-01. Uh, probably the biggest influence that actually got me to keep doing YouTube. I don't think I would have kept going if he hadn't supported me. Like, this was back when I didn't, wasn't even the Duke of Dorks and I had a different channel. Like, right. I, I just reached out to him and was like, hey, can you, you look over some of my stuff? And, you, and he did. It was awesome. Oh. Actually helped give me a bit of a platform. Oh, that's great. Makes a lot of fun. A lot of fun content around platform fighters. Plenty of great countdowns. I'd highly recommend stuff. Um... I'm just kind of looking through my subscriptions and seeing if there's anything. <laughs> yeah, no, trust me, same. Um, I'm sure most of my viewers are aware of this, but just in case there's any that aren't, I'd highly recommend checking out Smash Remix. It is a project that is uh, basically the Project M for Smash Brothers 64. Okay. Oh, yeah, yes. Basically, yes, basically I remember Basically, making characters into that style. Like yes. you, you have classics like uh, Bowser, Sonic, but then also a couple of new characters like Conker's in that game, and that's awesome. Have some really high... Uh, quality um trailers that they use to announce characters like legitimate like demade 64 smash trailers mm -hmm. they are great i'd highly recommend checking that out holy shit they made they released one while we're recording okay i'm, oh, I'm watching that next oh shit post mesmeric re released one grunty's furnace fun damn it <laughs> uh this is another big one but one of my favorites um cardbot animations uh, just because I've talked about Age of Empires so much, if anybody wants to get into those series, I'd highly recommend T90 Official and Spirit of the Law. Just if anything I've ever said appeals about those f games to you, but you're not sure where to start, uh, T90 casts, he's like the biggest caster, probably the biggest figurehead of that community. He's pretty much basically half the reason that it's still back. And then Spirit of the Law is the best educational YouTuber about how those games work. So there you go. Very nice. Alright, you got any others? Oh, I'm sure, absolutely. Um, also have uh, Skyhoppers, who just makes more video essays and such, but uh, I really love their analysis on uh, Pokemon Black and White and what it did to elevate Pokemon as a storytelling medium and why that ended up failing and the series retread afterwards. And then just the feeling of existing within Super Mario Sunshine and what it means to be a bad game, but a great immersive experience. And the, the balance between those two. And if it is a bad game, in spite of that, because it's still fulfilling other qualities. All right, excellent. And I think with that, we can wrap up this episode. I think so. Yeah. Like how we said it was a short one, but it ended up being the same length anyways. Yeah. Yeah, that'll happen. Turns out we can talk for a very long time. Damn, I love Live Alive. I, I, I look forward to loving it as well. You better. I better get updates through the month. Everyone listening, I better get updates through the month for you. Yeah, get, get, leave the comments. Edit leave them, them as you go. Yeah, this is our parasocial relationship. You give me content, I give you nothing, but I pretend that I do. <laughs> That's how we're best friends. We're not best friends. We're best friends. Uh, thank you all for watching and or listening on Spotify. Uh, thanks again to Crash and Smash. I will continue shouting them out until the end of time. Leave a comment with the hashtag DDG comment if you want us to cover it next time. 
And we will see you sometime in August. Yep. Goodbye, best friends. Let's continue being best friends as you leave me comments. Farewell.